Life is full of personal wins. Whether it's cleaning your house, getting that dream car, or checking off your to-do list, winning at life is a great feeling. And with the State Farm Personal Price Plan, you can keep winning when you create an affordable price just for you by bundling home and auto. So give yourself a round of applause. Talk to a State Farm agent today to learn how you can bundle and save with a personal price plan. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Prices are based on rating plans that vary by state. Coverage options are selected by the customer. Availability, amount of discounts and savings, and eligibility vary by state. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash Wondery and use code Wondery for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash Wondery. Code Wondery. Welcome to the ID10T podcast number 1047. Uh, if you're going to be in the San Francisco area, the 27th through 29th of February, I'll be at the Punchline in San Francisco and then the following weekend in Sacramento at the Punchline there. Um, and then also, what else just went on? So, oh, the Wilbur in Boston, April, I think that's April 3rd. Yes, that's April 3rd. And then the week before that is uh, Portland. At uh, Helium and then also Brea, California. It's tons of stuff. Do you know what? Just go to, uh, you can go to wizardguitar.com because it's the Wizard Guitar Tour. And that will give you all the ticket links and info. So come on out to that. Um, let's talk about you, the ID10T community. Well, this is a special one uh, because uh, a handful of years ago, uh, a gentleman emailed me and said, Hey, I, you know, I make these uh, like zombie face phone cases and they're super rad. So I went to his website, which was creepcase.com, and uh, he makes this guy named John and John Fields. He makes them all by hand. Um, and like he, he molds them by hand and then, and then makes them. And they're just these really special, incredible, like <laughs> horror zombie themed phone cases. And so when we started selling stuff on ID10T.com, I was like, Hey, can we, maybe we could, maybe we could sell some of these. So we actually are carrying now the creep case phone, uh, phone cases and I just want to give a special shout out to John because uh, he's been an incredibly nice guy. And he just the the artisanship of the zombie faces is so fantastic. Um, his website is creepcase.com or you can just go to ID10T and look from there. I know it sounds like an advertisement for us, but it's really I just wanted to give a shout out for John uh, because he makes these cases. And I hope he continues to make them because they are spectacular. Just a real different kind of phone case um, if you uh, if you are a horror fan or a zombie fan, which I assume you might be one of those things if you listen to this podcast. So uh, go check that out. Thanks again to John uh, for being great and making those. This episode is Mr. Ben Schwartz, who is not only one of the funniest people you could ever meet, but also one of the nicest, like, just... Nice guy. Ben Schwartz, nice guy. He's in Sonic the Hedgehog. He is the voice of Sonic, which is in theaters Valentine's Day. And also, if you ever get a chance to see him live, he tours with Thomas Middleditch as Middleditch and Schwartz. And tickets can be found at middleditchandschwartz.com. It's a live, long-form improv show, and they're playing huge venues. And so a couple of notes about this episode. Number one, he mentions that he and Thomas are doing... 
uh, a couple, a series of specials of like they recorded these. And so they're going to start putting some out and he couldn't announce it yet when we recorded this a couple months ago, but they are coming out on Netflix. So Middle Ditch, Middle Ditch and Schwartz coming out on Netflix, their improv specials, and it's a series of them. So uh, definitely, definitely, definitely watch that. Also, um, just a, uh, an, an error correction Later in the podcast, he says, when's this going up? And I think I say March 11th. What I meant was around February 11th. But I said March because uh, words are hard and months are hard to keep track of. So I said March. We talk about March, but it's actually going up now. It was always intended to go up now in advance of Sonic. So just ignore that. Or if you're hearing this after March, then it, forget about all this. You know, don't even worry about it. You're fine. So thank you again to Ben Schwartz for consistently being just a wonderful human being and someone that I is so much fun to riff with and hang around. And uh, I really, really had so much fun with this episode number 1047 of the ID10T podcast with Mr. Ben Schwartz. Initiating ID10T protocol. So old turtles are like they used to give them away in like fucking cereal boxes. Yeah, and I have I have some good um, uh, yeah I have some good uh, Batman animated series ones. I've got some He Man oh, ones. That's great. I, actually, I put my whole collection up on a Pinterest board. Oh, nice! Just, just so I can just look. So I could just yeah. So so you could just so me personally, you did it so I could personally just, just look. for you. I put it's them very up there very because nice. I know how much you love Pinterest. Yeah, and yeah, I know yeah, that yeah. You love animation cells. God. Yeah. So I just yeah I kind of went crazy, but my favorite. I did um, get uh, I got Bugs Bunnies from every director, so I have like a Bob Clampett. Oh, that's Chuck great! Jones, um, I think I have a Fritz Freeling, and a you Bob have so McKinson. many though that you will. I don't know what you do with it unless you make a museum or something. I don't know either. Like the guy that I bought a lot of them from is Mike Van Eaton at Van Eaton Galleries, and yes. he, he hosts all the Disney auctions, yes. the big Disney auctions. And he was like, but when he opened his before he was doing auctions, of course, just set, he just sold cells. And mm-hmm. he goes, "Yeah, I was a collector, and then I just ended up opening a store because I had so many of them." But I feel I've been. I feel bad because I have so many that no one is enjoying right now. But at the same time, I guess I sort of feel like, well. I guess I'll just be the one who is preserving these yeah. for now, and then maybe someday be on someone, your floor. someone will see them. What, do, how many? Do, what do you? What do you have? I have just those right now. I have like eight or ten. I started collecting cells maybe two years ago, two and a half years ago, and uh, it started with the Simpsons one, and then slowly started getting them. But it can become very. It's so easy to click on things and buy it. Or you just go – it's almost like comic books because they put it up in those boxes and you just finger through them like comic books and – Yep. I'll take this one. I'll take this one. It's so dangerous. And then the bummer – well, the the amazing thing about them is that it's legitimately a dead art form. Yeah. No one uses cells anymore. Yeah. And in fact, you know, like Futurama is a show that we love. Mm -hmm. There are no Futurama cells. They may have – um, and and I don't think there are any South Parks either. Oh, after, I wonder. Um, 
after they did the pilot or the first season or something, but I couldn't find any of those. And then Simpsons stopped do- using traditional cells. Yes, but that's also one that I, I know very little about art. And uh, so often when I go to museums and stuff, I can always appreciate it, but I know so little about it. And I have such a connection with the cells because in my life I've seen them and I've seen those episodes. Like the Simpsons cells, I know exactly what episode they're from. And like for me to have it, a piece of it, for some reason it feels so – I love it so much. It is it is a piece of history. I mean it's almost it's, like – yeah. <laughs> It's almost like if you said, oh, my God, I'm such a fan of Mel Brooks. I get to oh, – I'm going to buy his arm. You know what I mean? Because it's like – it's 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 a piece of physical history yeah. from some from something that – That was shown on screen. That actual image was shown on screen. Yeah, that was shown on screen. And, and to me, you know, it, even the, the classic animation to me is the most incredible art form because like the original Disney's or the old Warner Brothers before they started making them for television and, sure. the, and they before they realized they could make them cheaply in the 50s, 60s and 70s. Like when you think about how everything is a, a fucking work of art, like the backgrounds are done by these incredible landscape artists and then the foregrounds are done by these amazing cartoonists. And then they had these amazing, um, uh, uh, I think uh, uh, Philip St- or Carl Stalling, this amazing mm. mu- musician who did these symphonies for these, and like everything about it, every piece, I feel just like pulls from all these different it's disciplines. Amazing. Yeah, there's a uh, I did a show called Randy Cunningham, Ninth Grade Ninja, and one of the directors there uh, worked on The Simpsons and uh, was animating. Two, by the way, more than one of the directors there had done that, and he knew I was a big fan, and we had just wrapped a hundred episodes, and we were, the show was ending. Uh, I was on Disney XD, and uh, I told him he knows he knew how much of the Simpsons. Simpsons to me were like one of the biggest influences in my life mm-hmm. still. Um, and so he's like, "Oh, what was your like favorite episode?" I was like, "Oh, I mean, like B Sharps is one of my favorite episodes." This, and I kept saying, "He's like, oh, you know what? I could, I could, uh, I can make a cell for you. I have all the stuff that we used to do when we used to make cells." And I go, "Oh my god, if you can put me in the B Sharps, that would be amazing." <laughs> so he he did it. He did a cell, and then he paint. He's like, "I haven't taken out that paintbrush. I haven't taken out any oh. of those colors." And he did it. So there's a picture of me in my house with the B Sharps as an actual animated cell. Incredible. Yeah, that one's framed and everything. And your first name starts with a B. I know it works perfectly. So it kind of works perfectly. Yeah. You could have been in the B Sharps. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was watching. Um, we've been kind of rifling. We always watch cartoons when we're falling asleep at night. You know, whether it's, I don't know, uh, Rick and Morty or American Dad or, yeah. um, you know, so we were watching Simpsons because of Disney Plus. And um, it is, it, the, the idea that Simpsons predicts everything is uncanny. It's insane. But I saw one that I thought was pretty good that I haven't seen anyone point out yet, which is it's when Homer gets the internet. And he builds the web page, and he becomes Mr. X, the guy yeah. who's like ratting out everyone in the town. And they send him, and then it becomes like a prisoner yeah. parody. Um, but it's the idea that like when he runs out of news, he just starts making it up. I'm like, oh my god, that's totally what the internet is happening literally twenty four seven three sixty five right now. It's crazy. I used to watch the Simpsons episode every night going to bed because I uh, anytime I watch something going to bed, if it's words that I know, I have to I, that I don't know, I pay attention. I can't go to sleep. But if it's something I've seen so many times, so yes. I had all the DVDs. So I pop one in my computer. Remember when computers had DVDs in them? God, is that insane so that we'd f- say remember? Remember DVDs. Remember DVDs? Yeah, they had kind of a short run. That's crazy. Yeah. Uh, so I would go in and watch it because I knew it so well. It would, it would be like a beautiful way to lull myself to sleep. DVDs had like a 10-year run. It was like a solid 10 years. I, col- I like started to collect those too. Sorry. I started to collect those two where it's like, oh, I'm going to need – I have this forever now. And then like streaming came out and I'm like, oh, I don't need any of these now. I remember when I was a kid, my grandfather was a huge technophile and he collected – he got stuff – Way ahead of the curve, and he got a laser. Dis- he was must have been like 
1980, maybe the Laserdisc players, like where they were, you know, they were not the out fucking at, plates, like they were the size of albums. Oh my god, the one that people started buying in real life were until way later than 1980. No, they they were commercially available in the really? early 80s, but they they were the giant Laserdiscs. And so, and he had like four or five movies that I just watched on repeat. It was like Smokey and the Bandit and Grease and then a couple others. And, um, uh, and then it seemed like, oh, this is going to be the future. And then Laserdiscs really just became like a film nerd thing because of the quality and they started doing yeah. Criterion collections. Uh, then he got a Betamax player and then he thought that was going to be the future. He, he kind of missed the boat on that. He was right. The quality was better. He but, did them uh, all. He literally did all he, the different he, levels. He did all the different levels. Yes. Yeah. But now everything's digital. Does it bum you out to a degree that there are no Sonic cells for you from your movie or? <laughs> uh, there, I wish there were, there are things that I could grab. Um, Sonic sells for my movie. I didn't. I don't know if that'll make as much. It wouldn't sense make any live sense. action. Yeah, but, but but I have been trying to hunt down. But, you, sure but, you have but Roger Sonic, is, Sonic is not live action. Sonic is CG. Sonic is CG. That's exactly. what I mean. Like the yeah, oh, I do, yeah, I do, yeah, I do yeah. have Roger Rabbits. Do you, I do, yeah, yeah, that was one that I, I saw one or two of those that I was like, oh, it's so exciting because some of them are painted on actual things, on photographs. Right? Yeah, yeah. Yes. I mean, well, they they put the layer on the. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I have. Uh, I have the one where. Um, Roger, like where Eddie Valiant kisses Roger. Oh, come on! I have that one and uh, one other one that I can't remember. Amazing! I've got some Tron ones. Oh my god! That are in like a light box, so they light up, so you can see. Oh, that's cool. Dragon's Lair from the video game sure. Dragon's Lair. Sure, one of the hardest video games of all time. Not once you figured out the pattern. Okay, there were there were specific patterns, and the boring thing about that game is that once you figured out the pattern. The game's over. Yeah, I mean, that's it. There was a game, I forget what it was called, that uh, was inc- it was too expensive to play too much as a kid, but it's that hologram one where you're like a cowboy, and you just press to the right or to the left, and you like shoot somewhere. Do you know what I'm talking about? You only oh. have, you have a split second to make a decision, and, and then like, a wizard comes out of nowhere, and like, but it's all like a hologram in front of you. And is it is, is it like ph- photographic type yes, people? Yes, yeah. like, it looks like it's a movie in front yeah. of you. But in, yeah. yes, I don't remember what that's called. It was it was so difficult, and it cost so much money as a little kid that you only had like one or two cracks at it, and it would get. So you never got to be. I never got to beat it. I would love to play that game again. And it's funny to me now that games have evolved to the point where. You know, like a quarter, okay, quarters, you know, then they became 50 cents, and then, like, the expensive were like, oh, my God, a dollar? Then you would buy tokens, and yes. then the tokens was sort of like Vegas, where you kind of don't even realize how much money you're spending, because yes. they're, they're tricking you. Yes. And then you have to spend them there. But and now there's a card, where you don't even think, you just swipe. You just swipe it, you know, just, like, take the money part away, but... The craziest thing to me is like when video games first started coming out, they were, they've always been 60 to $100. Right. And, but... The big fucking crazy thing is is basically like um, freemium, mm-hmm. where you you think we used to think sixty dollars a lot to spend a video game. Now people will spend hundreds, if not thousands, of dollars playing freemium games over the over their lifespan. Isn't it insane? Yeah. So I just did something for um, Fortnite. Have yeah. you ever played Fortnite? No, I. I haven't played Fortnite because I know what will happen if I do. Yes, you'd be, it'd be over. Yes. It'd be game over. Yes. But this guy, Donald Mustard, and a couple of people over there helped develop it. And I did something for Star Wars with JJ for them, like this event that was like in the game, a promo. And it was, it blew my mind. I was so taken aback by how incredible uh, the whole thing was. Um, I don't, do you know about what it was at all or no? So, I, I know there was a, I remember seeing in my like news feed because right. it, 
obviously your your you know your newsfeed gets in your head. Right, right, right. But I saw the um, I saw the articles about like the Star Wars uh, integration. Yes, into Fortnite, the, I'll I don't know make it, it really quick. This is not, we don't need to plug Fortnite. They're doing great. <laughs> they're okay. Yeah, I think they're gonna be fine. They're, they made like one point eight billion dollars. Well, but one of the things that the, the Don Mustard guy said because I didn't know anything about the game, and so the person that teaches me about the game is the person that's really helping to run it. Is that uh, he's like you can't buy anything that makes you better than other people like mm-hmm. you can't buy an uh, an uh like a weapon or something like that that'll make you but you can have different skins and you can have all these things right so he goes that way you know if you have no money or if you have all the money you're on the same playing field that matters that's skill. So, so that is first of all very kind i believe that's what he said and maybe people who play fortnite uh, listening to this will know more than i do um it's so kind and it's cool but so what he did, what I thought was so Ready Player One-ish that it blew my mind was, he said, okay, what's going to happen is uh, we've been telling people for the last week there's a Star Wars event. This time you come to where there's like this little light sphere coming up, right? The spire, if you yeah. will, um, co- coming up. And then when you get there this time, something's going to happen. Nobody knows what's going to happen. And I was like, oh, man, I wish I you know, like I was playing this game. This would blow my mind. So you're there and all these people – are waiting, right, for something to happen. The time comes. JJ and I both have microphones on. This is live. <laughs> We're live. And they created a, a, a skin of JJ. So um, of the Millennium Falcon comes out of nowhere, right, the first time ever in this game. And then it's starting to get fired at, right, by Tizer or whatever. And then it lands. And then um, a host comes out, uh, the same gentleman who hosts the Video Game Awards. And then I came out as um, a Stormtrooper FN 143, 143, FN I love you. And then JJ <laughs> comes out. And we're all talking live in the game. In the... F- in the oh, sorry, can I curse or no? Yeah, yeah, of course. In the effing game. We're talking live. Say it! In the farting game. Uh. We're talking live. And it's insane because we're doing this and people in front of us are controlling our characters. So they're emoting anything we're kind of saying. So if I'm like, Dan- like talking or whatever, and we talk with each other and then... JJ's like, uh, and then they tell the audience, they're like, uh, okay, what, what's your favorite this? And you, there's like different places you can stand on the map where you vote. Mm-hmm. And then JJ's like, all right, let's show a clip of the movie. And then people look up towards the sky, and he put an exclusive clip of, from the movie that nobody's seen before in the sky of Fortnite. Oh, that's Within the video game, there was a video. Insane. And it blew my mind. And then uh, before you leave, they go, what's your favorite color lightsaber? Everybody picks. And then uh, some, you know, the emperor comes, and we all leave. We run and go away. And then in the, in the thing, and if you know JJ, JJ, he loves this. There's like a little mystery box on the stage. If nobody touches it, that's it. But if someone goes on stage and opens it, everybody gets lightsabers. And it's a huge lightsaber <laughs> war. And it blew, it just blew my mind because he's like creating a narrative in there and everybody got to play it. And it was super fun. And you saw people go nuts and crazy. It was, it was, it just absolutely blew my mind because then you think of what else you can do in that video game. If I can talk live to people, you could do like comedy shows. You could do this. You could do, it becomes. It just it blew my mind how creative and amazing that it, was. It, it, it was sort of like what, like you you could see what what, what Sims sort of started, yes. and then Second Life, and mm-hmm. then you know, and then Minecraft, and it just feels like the next evolution. Yes, because it's also like also a competitive game on top of that. Yeah, again, Simpsons episode where uh, Homer does the the live action animated dog. And then, for Poochie or for what? No, 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 no. He it's it's the one where he buys stock in a company. I got like he goes. Um, they they put this mocap suit on him, and then he's this dog animated on stage. Amazing. And then he goes into the bathroom and oh, starts, you see him pee. Yeah, 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 yeah. Exactly. Yes. exactly. So again, Simpsons. Simpsons totally dead. called all of it. Yeah, I know all of it. What are we even doing here? They call this podcast. 
season 17. Podcast is the only thing they never saw. That's true. The one, <laughs> only it. thing they never saw. Coming. The radio medium was over for them. <laughs> they couldn't see it from a mile away. Uh, uh, there's so much, Ben, so much that you were involved in that is so wonderful. Because you have no notes. You don't even look at notes. No, I just talk to people. Oh, like I it's love a, it. Like it's a conversation. It's very exciting. Although you have a Hyrule binder right in front of you. I do. This is the guest book. Oh, okay. So there have been three guest book. The first two filled up. The first one was a Wookiee. Uh, the first one... Wookiee... Does it make a noise? No. Um, these, are the, these are the guest books that we've had so far. So this is the, uh, the Chewbacca notebook. Beautiful. And these, these, this was, you know, we've, a bunch of guests signed it until it filled up. Um, and then... This is the this is the second one was the handbook for the recently deceased. Amazing. Then that one filled up. And, and now then we're on Hyrule. Now we're on Hyrule, and that's almost full. And so the fourth book that I ordered is uh, a little Necronomicon from Evil Dead. So Amazing. it's got like the it's just got the leathery face on Amazing. it. Amazing. So, oh, it's right here. It's right here. Yeah. So which is great for an audio podcast. Uh, I <laughs> yeah, I hope you guys really enjoy it. Of those, so we'll really describe them as books, basically, is what people, we said. People really understand. But you're involved in so many... Oh, yeah, to go back to what you said, yeah, I don't plan what to talk about because then if you do, then you're not listening. You're not engaged in the conversation. It's improv what you're it's doing. It's just like improv. Ben. It's literally what it is. Um, and the podcast has actually taught me to be a better listener I bet. than I used to be. I bet. Improv has done the same thing for me. And and where where did you start doing improv? I started doing improv. Oh, in college, I did short form, which is like little games and stuff like right. that. So I did that when I was a junior in college, and I didn't want to audition because my friend said I was funny. But I thought if I auditioned and I didn't get it, it would destroy me because then it would mean that the people that were funny in college didn't think I was funny. That's right. And then I had nothing. Then I would have nothing to identify with. Well, you've just described like the business. <laughs> yeah, by the way, you're absolutely correct. And by the way, that's in writing, too. You write something and you think it's funny. You're so, it's so nerve-wracking to give it to somebody else. Right. You're like, this is what I think is great. What do you think? Right. It's terrifying. Well, because the audience in your head isn't always right. No. No. <laughs> Sometimes I'm suspicious of things that I write that I think are too funny because and then I go, oh, this is too inside my own head. No yeah. one else is going to get Although this. Although if you get it, other, there's somebody else that will connect to it. May not be the person you give the script to. Though. Might not be the person who <laughs> wants to give you money to. Right. But there's somebody that's going to like that. But you're very sweet because when I was in Italy, when Lydia and I were in Italy last summer, um, this really uh, nice comedy fella uh, sent me a message on Instagram. His name's Frank Matano, mm-hmm. and he is a comedian. And, oh, right, I remember uh, this. And, ho- and he hosts. He's one of the judges of Italy's Got Talent. And he's a really sweet guy, but he lived in the states for a while, so he's bilingual and might speak Italian. So he speaks English, and so we kind of we met up and bonded. And he was talking to me about improv, and I I was asking you questions on his behalf. Oh, you're right. About right. the improv shows, I was I was texting you from Rome. That's insane. And he was so delighted that you because obviously he knew who you were and was a fan of yours, and so it was very kind of you. I had no idea that he was a judge on Italy's Got Italy's Talent. Got Talent. That's yeah, amazing. IGT. Oh, the IGT. The IGT. Holy crap! Italy's got the, some talent. Oh, so you do a out. spot on Italian accent? Well, this is uh, how we speak of the Italian. Oh, my uh, goodness. Sure. What no. are you eating right there? You're cooking something. I eating can't see. Eating the pizza. Oh, you're eating the pizza? See the okay. pizza. See the pizza? Rolling the pasta. Okay, very nice. Any other things that you would Tiramisu. Tiramisu for dessert. Si, sure, okay. Si. Do you drink any alcohol or yeah, no? No, but if I did, it would be the vino. vino. Okay, great. Si, okay, vino. great. Lovely. Oh, Lovely to meet you, sir. What part of Italy are you from? All parts. All parts. Italy. Okay, yeah, so like Rome and Tuscany. Yes, and my and... mother, the birth started in Rome. Oh, and she 
was on a train and so she I couldn't get born, off. Born, yes. Your head was born in si, Rome. Your head, shoulders yes, were in Tuscany. Are, yes, see, si, I'm yes. feet in the Venice, so they're very wet. Oh wow, that's amazing! Uh, but, very interesting. Uh, you know, it's good to be here. It's good. So, and I hate to interrupt you. So basically, see, most of your body was born on a train. Then you went to some sort of boat in Venice. See, si, yeah. and then you see. Okay, and that's yes in Italy. No, I went to see. Oh, you went to the sea. Yes. Okay, and while you're in the sea, the rest of your body was kind of born. Yes, unbelievable. Exactly. I yes, think sir. that, and I haven't seen the film, but I think that's what happens in Aquaman. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't that how he gets his power? <laughs> it's either sea or Aquaman. It's one of the things that Aquaman. he's in. I Aquaman, Jason Aquaman. Momoa. Yeah. yeah that's unbelievable. <laughs> I went to Italy once. I went to Rome. Oh no, once. And I loved it so much. I was only supposed to stay for one day uh, or two days. And I, I stayed another night and I just loved walking. I remember I had these uh, I, 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 ear pods and whatever they're called. And I would just walk because it's insane. I'm listening to like soul music that I always listen to when I'm here. And I'm walking around. But then it's like these pieces of art that are buildings that have been standing there for years. And you cannot believe you're just walking around them. It is crazy. And and. When you see, I mean, there are two. There are basically there's a stratified there's stratified history there. There's two levels of insane history that is already like centuries older yeah. than our than America's colonial history. But it it uh, you see, look at buildings. You're like, oh, that was built in the 1500s, and you go, yeah. And if you look down that little shaft down there, that you can see the original Roman road that's actually 2,000 years old. It's insane. And in that building is John the Baptist's head. I mean, it's like <laughs> fucking. It's so crazy. You just like we don't have a frame of reference for no. it as Americans because no. it's just not. Like, it's beautiful. It's really, I loved. Really beautiful. I loved it. Just walking around was amazing. Yeah. Hey, listen. You know, th- th- there's a reason Clooney spends his time in Italy because yeah. it's. Uh, it's it's a, it's a romantic place. It's a lot of the, he's, the reason why he does those Nespresso commercials over there. He loves it over there. <laughs> They're probably there. paid for. Yeah. They're probably paid for his Lake Cuomo I think so. compound. Just, yeah. just the Nespresso ads. I, yeah, it has to be, right? Do you is, is there a place that you like to go? Do you vacation anywhere that you enjoy? Um, I like to go to Europe because I don't I don't know much, but work has taken me to Europe, so I feel comfortable there every now and then. Work has taken me to London quite a few times, and then Paris a couple times. So I, I've been able to go over there, but uh, I still haven't done like the big ones. Like I've never done Hawaii, like the version of America. Like I haven't done that yet. Um, and I haven't done Japan, which I know you love Japan. Love it. I've seen robot videos of yours from Japan from years of, of travels of yours. As a Disney fan that you are, I know you, there are two Disneylands there. So, oh, I know. By the way, have you seen? Of course, you have. Have you seen the Imagineering documentary on? Um, oh, the Disney Plus. It was. You'd you think it? I'd seen it, and I haven't seen it, it yet. It is spectacular. It was the first thing I watched when I got Disney Plus, and it is. Amazing. It ends with a spoiler of uh, Rise of the Resistance mm-hmm. ride or whatever. So yeah. I couldn't. I didn't want to watch the end because I want to be. You want to be yeah. surprised? Yeah. But um, uh, it w- it was great. I'm such a nerd for uh, those parks, and I don't. I don't know exactly. It's hard to describe it outside of when I'm there. I just feel like a kid, and it feels like you've totally escaped. And I think as a kid, I didn't get to go very often. I think I went once or twice, and I was afraid of going on the rides. And now it's like open to me. And then because I've done some uh, a lot of Disney stuff, uh, once a year I get this guide, mm-hmm. which you know about, yep. which changes everything. And then I get to bring friends in that have never been and watch them go through that experience. And it's one of my you, greatest You get to joys. watch their theme park experience being ruined for the rest of their the rest lives of their because lives. they get to skip the lines. It and is, then yeah. <laughs> the next time they go to the park, like, oh, my God. It is crazy. This is why people come to these parks for like a week at a time. Because it it can take that long it's to get the through everything. Luxury, but I've only been to Disneyland. Disney—that's the only one I've been to because that's right where we live. 
Disney World I went to once when I was a kid, but I was too scared to get on Space Mountain. We waited on the line, and then I was too scared to get on, so I left, and then my and then my mom was like, well, Ben's not going, I'm not going. And then my sister really wanted to go, and I could, my dad's like, all right, then I'm not going either. And then my sister's like, what the fuck, guys? And she was oh, the she only one that has balls in the whole family. Are... Yeah. So when she, she, she has uh, wonderful twins, uh, her and her husband, Jeremy, I, I brought them all over in my family, and I took them to Disneyland, and we did everything that she didn't get to do. What's your favorite ride? My favorite ride? Yeah. It's this. Haunted yeah, Haunted Mansion. Mansion but too. I love Indiana Jones. Yep. Um, and I got to go um, on Indiana Jones with Tony Baxter. Am I saying that gentleman's name right? I believe I am. Uh, the gentleman who created that and Space Tours and stuff like oh, that. Oh, Star Tours? Yeah, Star Tours. Sorry. Yeah. Star Tours. And he helped do Splash Mountain. Is it Tony Baxter? I feel like it is. It is, right? Yeah. Yes. So, he, so I was there for when they opened up Galaxy's Edge. And uh, randomly just happened to be there when uh, Jet Lucas was there, who's George Lucas's son, who's a great dude. And... Um, uh, and Tony, I guess, knew him. So Tony's like, oh, I'll just hang out with you guys. And he has created some of the most – he's in the Imaginary documentary. When you see oh. it, you lose your mind. Now, I'm so glad they did that because uh, a, a while ago I pitched to Disney Plus when they were gearing up for it. Like, oh, I really want to host like the wonderful world of Disney like we used to watch on Sunday nights. Loved but it. Do all the behind-the-scenes Imagineering stuff. And they're like, we're already doing that. Yes. So, You're gonna, thanks, but no. I can't believe you haven't watched it. I, I keep forgetting it's there because mm-hmm. we are in an era of – I mean, we are in a gluttonous media consumption era where there's just so fucking much of everything to watch all the time. So what do you think happens? I've had this conversation recently because I'm currently in three things on Netflix, one thing on Disney Plus, one thing on Hulu. And so my question is what – what happens right now, I think, also will be written about in entertainment books, uh, not the history books, but that there was like we had our channels, then we had cable, uh, then we had, you know, like the advancement of what cable is, then a little bit of streaming, and now we're in it. This is the war right now to see if this is going to be a thing. Well, not only that, so not only is there a glut of, of like um, professional big media, but technically – Social media has turned every human being into a broadcaster. Yes. So you... With power. With power. So, like, you you could literally be just programming for one other person, in theory, as a social media broadcast. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, if, if there's one or two people following your thing, then you're just, you're just programming for, like, one or two. So there's just so much of everything. I don't know... I mean, ultimately, we are um, burdened by infinite choice right now, and I think people do want simplicity. So as cable starts to break apart, it will re-coalesce in some – like something's going to have to happen where it's like – Okay, I don't want to fucking have to subscribe to There's going to be HBO Max, again. Disney Plus, this, that. So just like I want to basically a reimagining of what cable was. That's exactly what's going to happen. I'll pay one thing and then I will uh, just get all of those and things. And I think as these bigger companies start buying and buying, I think what's going to happen is you're going to see that some of these are going to drop out. I don't know which ones, but you know, like out of all these different streaming things that are coming out, and I think then people are just going to buy the properties from those, absorb the properties. Let's say there's a kick-ass TV show on this, but that streaming service is going going down yeah. this streaming service will pick up the rights to that that's how they'll recoup their money so they don't totally go bankrupt absolutely it's and then all be another five or they'll just be like you know a smaller amount of them with all the content the next like one to three years will be very telling about i mean i feel like there's so much even though it feels like there's a lot of content being made in the business right now if you are uh, in the if you make television it's a very odd time because a lot of places still don't entirely know 
what they're going to be doing in a year, if they're going to be around, yeah, what dude. types of things they're going to be I making. Agree. And they're putting so much money in right now. They're making huge risks. Yeah. These companies are taking enormous monetary risks. You have to be – I feel like you would – you have to kind of be Disney at this point yep. to really make it work to be spending that much money because, you know, they're a small startup companies and they're spending so much. And it's like, well, how do they – how are they going to recoup this, <laughs> you yep. know, because – People, subscribers might subscribe for a month, but then they might bail once they see the thing that they wanted to yeah. see and then resubscribe later or like, you know, pirate stuff. I if don't know. If you were starting out now, how would you change your, let's say you, you were not established at all. Yeah. Um, and let's say you were doing stand-up, uh, but I guess you were doing Singled Out at the very beginning. But In the very beginning, yeah. So let's say you were just doing stand-up, so yeah. you didn't have that platform yet. Yeah. How would you utilize... How how would you utilize the platforms you have now? Because you talk about you can have an audience of one. Yeah. To get your career out there, stuff like that. Because my my path <clears throat> would have been similar in how I did it, but using different platforms. Right now, I think I would like triple down on Instagram TV. I've, oh, really? TV, yeah. Instagram TV. Instagram TV, which is the longer form yeah. content, because they're they've they've you can build channel streams with an Instagram TV, and so. I would be putting up like daily comedy content. Yeah. I mean, if I were younger, I, well, it depends. Like, if I was starting out now at my age, probably Instagram TV. If I were like TikTok. 18 or 19, I would do TikTok. But I don't know. The thing about TikTok is that it feels to me like, and I might be wrong. I apologize if, if anything that I'm saying is offensive to any content creators. But to me, TikTok feels like the spiritual successor to Vine. Right. And there's a very specific language in TikTok that I almost feel too old to be a part of, almost like an old guy like, hey, what are you kids TikToking over there? Right, right, right. And so what I don't know is if, yes, you, you can have you know 10 million followers on TikTok and all your videos get millions and millions of views. Will those people like put on shoes and come see you at a venue? I don't know. Because what I have noticed is that a lot of times audiences do not cross platforms. Not That's always, but sometimes. Like YouTube audiences tend to stay on YouTube. Uh, I feel like yeah. Instagram, unless the creators were good at cultivating like a multifaceted, but, but often to, to port, not always, but often to port one audience, you know, if, like if you're a big YouTuber, it can still be difficult to get eyes on television or on Instagram yeah. or on this or on that because each one is kind of its own planet with its own indigenous language. And I feel like those users... So I don't know. You could be a TikTok star, but if you wanted to be a live touring act, would that necessarily mean that that audience would come see you live? And the I answer wonder. is, I don't know. Right. But I, I would probably... Tr and I, I probably should post more stand-up stuff on Instagram, but I just get really self-conscious about it. I have, uh, by the way, all my old jokes. I don't know where the hell those are. I'm, I'm, <laughs> I don't know what they are. Because they're all supposed to be rejected anyway. But I did uh, for... I'm, I'm in this show on Netflix called Space Force. And yes. A the, piece of it. The big space... That's a fucking big show it is a, it's a it's a big one which is funny because Steve Carell say, it's like so much is ha so much content is coming out uh, I'm uh, a question I ask sometimes is just like well how do you stand out how do you care in this show I don't have to do anything it's the show is Steve Carell John Malkovich like I as a nerdy comedian if I wasn't on the show I would be watching it's Greg Daniels too right Greg Daniels created yeah. it it's yeah. insane it's great and it's really funny and it's based off of a real thing that's happening in real time the Space Force it's literally yeah. being po they, they posted their camos their real camos and we of course on our show have camos 
And so Greg emailed us. He's like, we're going to post our camos. And I was like, that's amazing. And our show, their camos are like, you know, a camouflage, whatever. But the joke of our show is that our camos are craters of the moon. Yeah. So it looks like blue craters of the moon. And we look, it's, you know, the people who wear them in the show look absolutely, you know, it's lunacy. Um, and so we posted ours. So it's happening in real time while we're editing. It's such an interesting thing that the show is covering something that's happening in real life while you're watching the show. It's a very crazy thing. But um, so I did TikTok as like a little promo thing. I did some fun little promo stuff for Netflix with TikTok, and I'd never seen it before. And so they introduced me to it. And what I noticed from it, first of all, one is that there's a lot of funny fucking people out there. Really funny. And people that may, may have always been funny, you know, like people that may have always been funny now have a platform. But also, as an improviser, it's a game. Like, let's say there's a game of a scene. That's what we call it. Do you know that term? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, it's a UCB term. Like, yes. you're basically, if I understand it correctly, it's... It's the moment that everyone sort of collectively recognizes, like, for lack of a better term, like, what is the angle on the scene? That's correct. So yeah. even let's say the bit that you just did with being from Italy, right? See. So it's like, say, so you're you're playing it like in this Italian uh, accent, and then literally any time I could try to alley-oop you to say something that makes you even more stereotypically Italian, yes. we're hitting that yeah. game. So one of the biggest things in improv is, I don't know why I'm saying this right now. This is great. I would, I love it. Sure? I Absolutely. Because I, okay. I think I am a person I that thinks that— I just came back from a show Yes, I just landed to do this podcast, but I just had two shows in San Francisco, but 12 hours. And I want to talk about your improv shows, but improv is something that I think any creative person should at least look into because of there's so much that you get out of it that's not just doing improv games. It's helped me in writing. It's helped me in everything. But one of the things is you play that game, and the idea is you're not supposed to like go pop, pop. You're not supposed – let's say it's a ping pong match. A teacher of mine, Billy Merritt, once said, think about it as a as – a, uh, you know, a ping pong match where you're going back and forth and back and forth. If you're hitting the game really hard over and over again, you're never gonna. You're never gonna. It's have, a rally. Yes, you have to be. Listen, improv is all about listening and playing back and forth, and you know stuff like that. Yeah. So you don't want to go boop boop boop. But so what it is. What's interesting is that people know this. They're they're essentially doing that, and that it'd be like a bit that happens on TikTok, and then everybody's kind of copycatting it in their own way, mm-hmm. or it's like you know something happens, and it's like again, I know very very. I know nothing. I don't have TikTok yet. I'm just learning about it now. But something would happen, and then literally the next video is someone you know, making fun of what just happened. And then the next video is someone pretending to be the point of view of a light bulb yeah. while that thing is happening. Yeah. And you just keep swiping, and it tells like – it's the same joke from like forty different people. It's like a, it's like it's like the it's like the first twenty responses on a Reddit thread. Exactly, where it's like it's exactly every, right. Yeah, it's where, like the funny comment. It's like the it's like a visual. It's like a moving visual version of a comment thread where everyone is having a conversation. Yes, and it's all and TikTok definitely seemed to be. Um, well, it was lip sync based and then kind of joke based where there'd be some joke reveal at the end. And so, but I feel like with TikTok, it's too, um, like it, 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 sort of like what with Vine or even early YouTube that anyone who's very established or like a big company that people are almost a little suspicious of it because it's supposed to feel like, what's the company? Is it Facebook or something? No, 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 no. I mean like, I mean like a big media company, like getting on to TikTok or like big celebrities because it's like. It, it it almost it, it almost feels like it's supposed to be for ju- for like everyone 
And the less professional it is, the more authentic it is. Yeah. Because people are just fucking around and no one's trying to That's suck. like UCB at the beginning. If you remember UCB in New York at the beginning, it was like called the CBGBs of comedy. And like it was underground. We were underground of fucking Gristides. Oh, yeah. There was 120 people max and you'd line the... Two and giant just, fucking posts on yes, the stage. Dude, and you? I was an intern. I had to... Cl- and there's bags <laughs> And it would shit. leak. Yes. I worked there. I was present <laughs> to clean all that stuff. I did the garbage. I, and it was like... And it felt so cool. And all the funniest people in the world would come down there perform for free and it just felt so cool and then you know as anything gets bigger and bigger and bigger and so many people you know it, it changes the vibe a little bit but I remember that at the beginning of UCB man in New York it was I literally every time I went to intern I thought I was going to the funniest and coolest place I've ever been in my life right and I got better at all my skills in comedy because I just got to watch those people before they you know became huge whatever and that's what's great too about TikTok in particular is that you're basically watching a bunch of people interpret an idea and you're watching it evolve quickly and you're watching people use it in ways that like I, I watched this dude who just I can't remember the name of it. It's like his dog's name is Penny or something and he just does his dog's voice. So you see the dog and the dog oh, is like barking and stuff, but he adds like a yup, nope. And it's just so simple, but it's so well done. And right. it just it's like, oh my God, these you know, everyone is has figured out how to express their own comedy voice in a way that is, when we were growing up, would have been impossible. impossible. Like, we were growing up, like, well, you have to get a video camera, and then you're going to have to edit, and you have the tape, and then you're going to have to get two tape deck machines, yeah, and then you, and how do you, you know, it would, it would have cost thousands and thousands, and then, and then what do you do with it once you make it? You'd have to you put it on YouTube and hope anybody looks at it, and how do you get anybody to care about anything this you do? This is even pre-YouTube, when, when I was growing like, how would you, and so it's so, there's literally no excuse anymore for perf- anyone who wants to be a performer to not just, so when you ask what I would do, I would just make content every single day. It doesn't matter. You don't have to knock it out of the park every time because if it's not great, then it doesn't – algorithmically, it doesn't spread. and <laughs> No right. one sees it. And then you just keep at it and keep at it. And the consistency – because I feel like when we were growing up, it was all about the, the comedy album being sure. the great landmark. And now, especially because of podcasts like this, content is so ubiquitous and plentiful that like a special – doesn't necessarily it's like a nice landmark in a way but it's a mile marker you just drive right past it it's by the way it's so fun we so middle and schwartz uh, has three comedy specials coming out do you do them all at once we did them all at once which was maybe a mistake (laughs) (laughs) because it's an hour and a half of improv each oh my god we did four shows and we cut one and you don't edit them together whatever happens in the show so i don't know if you ever come to our show but we taught you should come to your show please you and i would love to show but we we uh basically go to the audience um and for these set of specials the question we ask is what are you looking forward to what are you dreading because that's what we kind of do and we talk to someone have a real conversation with someone for like you know five minutes then nobody talks about the thing and then for an hour and ten minutes thomas and i make up an entire show almost like a play type thing uh type thing off of that so um one show can't be edited with another show because this is that story. It doesn't make sense. Right. So we have – so basically for this streaming service, which we're not allowed to announce yet because they'll have a big announcement thing, but it'll, it'll be coming out hopefully soon. But uh, we're, we're editing them now. But um, it was very nerve-wracking because it's like, all right, you have four shows. You got to keep three of them. I believe that's what we're going to air. I believe. I'm not sure. So what happens if you have four bad shows or like – you know what I mean? Or if you have a show that you – one, you know what I mean? Yeah. So there's a lot of pressure 
on performing so and also it's the first time we're performing in front of cameras so the first show automatically is weird because as improvisers you find the unusual thing and the unusual thing is everywhere we look there's cranes and stuff like that so we had to get used to that and it's in front of a you know like and that's an extra pressure too at least when you're doing a show live you you feel looser because you're like oh you know whatever like not everything is going to kill but you know what it's just for us and it's an experience and once you put especially comedy especially like a live a, a comedy with a live audience when people watch it on a, a medium, they are instantly like out of the energy of the room. Yeah. So it changes the dynamic of the comedy show. So imagine that being for I'm, I am I'm really pleased how it came out. But uh, well, you guys are like two of the best improvisers. Well, you're in the very world, you're very so. kind. But even think I mean, although I remember I forget I must listen to a podcast yours. We were talking about how long it would take you to generate material for you to do a special, and I remember your amount of time was pretty. Qu- you're pretty quick at that. I remember. No. Well, I feel like. Uh, I feel like I rushed my last two specials because Oh, maybe that's why it took so good. <laughs> and now I am I am I am approaching this next one, which I still like I'm I'm a year away from shooting, is I I write for like two hours every morning at breakfast and I just like even I just look at the same, you know, like I'm in this spot now where I'm not writing anything new. Yeah. I'm just retooling and shaving and you know. Yeah. But it's okay. So that's this, what's great about your improv is that like you do it and it's done. You don't have to think about it. But ever also, again. it's like for you, you know, you will work on a piece of uh, you work on your set for let's say six months or a year or whatever, and then you've tried it over. You're do, you've done these jokes one million times. You know exactly where to you know where your pauses are. You know where to hit the audience stuff like that. Um, then when you film it, when you're filming it, you know it's still a lot of pressure. But you're doing your material that you know works and you're proud of. We have no idea what our show's even going to be about, so we can get a suggestion that's really sad. Like we, one of the first suggestions was kind of sad uh, for a show we just did, and it's like, um, but we're pretty good at like when we hear the first thing, we just do it because that's kind of you say yes and whatever yeah. it is, um, unless it's a show we've we've heard a lot of times. So, so it's it's crazy if someone's like I remember we had a suggestion once that was like, yeah, um. I'm I'm doing something. I'm I'm like hooking up with this girl, but she's married. But the guy has cancer or something like that. And I was like, oh my god, what the fuck are we? And like sometimes you find the really fun stuff in the darkness, and sometimes you got to weed your way and find like whatever. But we have no idea what the shows are going to be. So the added pressure is that for each one of those shows, whatever it is, is what's going to be on screen forever because we get four shots. We're airing three of them. So it's not going to be – none of them are going to be the best show we've ever done and none of them are even going to be tried material or characters we've ever done. Right. But we just hope that our skills are such that we can handle whatever's thrown at us and that people will enjoy what we're doing. And also our biggest goal is that the people love the people because a lot of people haven't even seen long-form improv. We have to explain right. what it is at the beginning of every show. Right. So we're hoping that people are like, oh, shit, this is crazy. They're making it up and they're well, pretty and, good at and it. And that dynamic, by the way, creates a whole other agreement with the audience mm-hmm. where um, – because improv to me is, a, is basically like a, like a magic trick. Right, like it's a it's that tight rope. Where you're like, oh my god, are they gonna fall? Oh my! And when they That's don't, right. and when you don't, but I would argue that yes, you do make it up on the spot. But I think the misconception about improv is like, oh whatever, you just make shit up and shit. Anyone can do it. And it's like, but you have so many years of training. Yes. So you you and and Middle Ditch have a, have these incredible machines in place. Yeah. That will crank out these perfectly formed hay bales of comedy because you know you trust each other and you know each other. Yeah. And you know that like, oh, if I start to fall, you know, the other guy is going to be able That's to. Exactly and then I'll right. catch him and then I'll catch. And that acrobat, it's really an acrobatic act that you um, 
you, 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 it's built on trust and experience and, you know, and you, and you guys, you, you've worked very hard to get to that You're place to right. make it look effortless so that you, the best art, you can't see the lines. They're, I just did a movie with Billy Crystal and the line he told me, anytime he talked about anything, I listened because I'm a huge sure. fan but he said, uh, one of the biggest things, uh, you know, in comedy is like, never, never let him see you work. Mm-hmm. Never let us see you working. You know what I mean? Yeah. Just put in your work before we get on stage and then when we're performing or when we're on camera, do your thing. Don't let him see like the whatever. And I think that's exactly right. I've been doing improv for almost 20 years now. And um, Th- and Thomas and I together have probably been doing shit for 10 years on and off. You know what I mean? And then I moved to L.A. and then he came. And you're right. We have such – it's also you find those partners that it's just it's, – it's for some reason everything clicks together. Some, like, some people just ignite you it's, and you ignite right. them. We, and once you've done improv for a while, you can kind of improvise with everybody. But when you find someone that it's like, oh, this is special, like I could go here and just with like – you you know uh, where to where I'm gonna go and I'm starting to you we build shows while we're it's just really uh, beautiful and I think um, these specials the only bummer is there's a lot of pressure and you you wish that oh my god I hope we have our best show we've ever had and that's what everybody right. sees and that's never gonna happen so you got to put that to the back of your head and be like I hope we have a decent show to show people the kind of shows that we can do and by the way I hope they're kind of different also so people can see like when you get on stage they could be totally fucking different and they are the ones that we're you know putting together now are that. Um, but there's that big risk, and the people that said yes to this special even said it's like we. It was hard to sell this. Even we sold out Carnegie Hall, we sold at Chicago Theater, we sold at all these places. It doesn't matter because when you go to the network or the streaming service and you pitch, they're like, okay, but what's the special? What's the show? Like, well, we don't know. We have no idea. And they're like, and you want us to put millions of dollars? That's to exactly yeah. right. And then they're like, we'll put the exact minimum <laughs> that we can put in. <laughs> and I said, okay, that's fine. We'll take, we don't need to make money. We just want to, we want to get it. It's this. basically your proof of concept. That's right. It, but if it ultimately is, is the goal, like if these do well, you'll do like another uh, uh, series yes. of them. So the goal is if these do well, that and then um, and then hopefully it will allow this place to welcome a little bit more improv in, and maybe we can build something off of that. Just kind of, I want to, I want to dig into your brain Thanks, a little Chris. bit because I want to understand, like, how do you? How do- long are these usually? Can we talk for a while? Six, seven hours. Okay. Um, how do? Uh, you don't have to be anywhere, right? No, I'm literally – I just landed. <laughs> and, I'm great. So I hope you packed a bag because we're done. You'll have to get back on a plane and go do great. that um, what, How do you define – like in your mind, how do you, how do you define like whether or not a show was successful? Like is it based on how much the audience laughs or is it based on your own – oh, they might have laughed, but I feel like I dropped the ball it's a couple times. It's a great times. question. Yeah. A great question which I've never been asked before. I am uh, – after shows, I'm very hard on – very hard on shows for us, but um, I remember g- coming up in improv shows. It used to, I used to get so mad at myself if I had like a bad show or something like that, or if I thought I was bad. I would drive myself crazy for that whole night. I'd be disappointed in myself the next morning. Can't believe that that's you know. And then as you kind of do more and more, of course you have better shows and you, your failures are less. You know they're still there, but less. Sure. And then you kind of find things whatever. So uh, when I'm done with the show. I'll say audience laughter is a, a big one, but also the way that we handle situations, also the way that we bring a whole show together, and make it feel like one piece mm-hmm. and like a fun piece, and not just eating cotton candy is a right. phrase I'd use. Like we can, we we have shows where sometimes we're just doing joke, 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 mm-hmm. and that's not as uh, exciting for me as we give you like an hour show. You know what I mean? 
uh, just the improv part because we talk to the audience for 15 minutes up top just for fun but like and we bring shit together and we have these clear characters and we told a full story and we get off stage and we ended it with a bang like that's like we had one of those this this we, we had a really fun show in Portland that uh, was very plot based which you're not really supposed to do as much in improv but we found a way to get all these character games to work and really pull together and it had a nice little ending and it was in front of 3,000 or 2,600 people and it was like uh, very exciting so after that it was like Thomas and I will talk about things we liked and didn't like we, we never do like a big rundown if we and then we'll come off stage sometimes and be like ah oh, that felt a little like we were working really hard for those laughs or something like that and we'll chat about that stuff always Sarah Silverman Sarah Silverman who uh, at the very beginning of my career, played my sister in a movie, and since then has been like my sister. She's been amazing to me. Uh, I, I once said, because I get in my head, and I've done 1,000, 2,000, 3,000, I don't know how many shows, improv shows by now, um, and uh, sometimes someone afterwards would come up to me like, that was amazing. Not, not I'm not trying to... No, it's okay. I, I know what Someone said something very nice to me. Yeah. Like, that was amazing. I can't believe you guys made that up. That was one of the best shows I've ever seen. And then I responded like, oh, really? I didn't love that one. I'm so... I'm happy you liked it. I wasn't into it. And then Sarah pulled me aside and she's like, what are you doing? And I said, I said, what? She goes, that person loved, loved your show. Yeah. That person just saw And you were kind of telling them they're dumb. It's exa- and, and she made me, it was a huge eye opener. She goes, you're now telling that person their opinions wrong because you didn't think. Cause you're just being, well, it's, I'm the, a nerd. I'm Jewish nerdy. Well, and like, that, that's a double edge because basically what you're, what you're, First of all, you're sort of being self-deprecating and not being able to take a compliment. I'm very bad at taking compliments. And second of all... And talking um, about myself in a, in a positive light is hard sometimes because I feel like I don't want to ever come across like a fucking asshole. You know what I mean? Right, and you couldn't because your, your energy... I, 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 ben, I would, I would tend to think that you are probably generally regarded as like one of the sweetest mm. people in comedy. I'm going to change it tonight. Uh, <laughs> Tonight, I'm taking one soul home with me. <laughs> but, but also, like, uh, you know, then it's you, exactly you're also kind of because I do I've done I've done the same thing too, and then you're also kind of showing your um, insecurity to someone. Yes, and that's right. Maybe kind of making them feel weird because exactly they're watching right, you kind of like mini meltdown. I'm putting a my bit. anxiety on them. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Right. Instead of just like, oh my gosh, thank you so much. Yes, uh, which is a very, very can be a very difficult thing to do. It is, and um, there, uh, I will say, there's some shows that Thomas and I we get out and. We thought we had good shows. Like, um, like, oh, that'd be a good show. Then when someone comes up, they're like, yeah, that was a f-. I'll say, like, that was a fun one. That's, like, the most compliment I'll ever say. <laughs> I was like, oh, yeah, we had fun. That was a fun one. Which yeah. is funny because at the beginning of my improv career, I noticed when people had bad shows, the first comment when someone would go up to them, if a friend went up to them, like, what'd you think? Someone would be like, oh, look like you guys had a lot of fun up there. And never talk about what happened in the show, if it was funny or anything Fun? Like and the other one is like, oh, God, I could never do that. Right, exactly. I, that is so brave. I could never... It's fun and bravery. I could never... I I don't know how you do it. Yeah. I don't know what was wrong with the audience. I, mean, I just think they just didn't like, but whatever. You know, they were probably tired, but, but it was great. Uh, I, let, let me, or this is the other one. Well, I got what you were doing. <laughs> like, oh, uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. That's, yes. Oh, I don't know. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, do you ever, because I, I think it's so. This episode is brought to you by Noom. Forget one size fits all diets. With Noom, you get a personalized weight loss plan that's tailored to your lifestyle. No food is off limits. Enjoy your favorites while discovering healthier habits. Noom's users love the flexible approach, blending psychology and biology to help you lose weight in a way that's sustainable for you. Stay focused on what's important to you with Noom's psychology and biology-based approach. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M dot com. 
And check out Noom's first ever cookbook, The Noom Kitchen, for 100 healthy and delicious recipes to promote better living. Available to buy now wherever books are sold. Easy for us as comedy I don't people. see, I don't, uh, I'll come off stage and be like, oh, that was an okay one. Or like, I didn't love that one. And then the audience reaction on Twitter and Instagram is some of the most positive things I've ever seen where I can't judge our own. You don't know. So doing these specials is so hard because I'll look at it and be like, oh, I don't know. What, what do you think? You know what I mean? Because I've, we've done so many shows and we know what the best ones look like and we know what the worst ones look like. And so it's like, it's like uh, I hope people like this. I really like this. or this one, I'm like, eh. So it's like, it's such an interesting thing because I can't, I'm not the best judge of things. And like my, people close to me and my parents and all that stuff, will, I'll be like, I'll come off stage and I'll be like, I don't know about that one. And my dad's like, that was fucking great. What are you talking about? Right. And I'm just in my head just because that's what we do as Well, and also everything. people close to you like that because I've had shows that I thought were just okay. And Lydia's been like, that show was great. And I'm like, you're, but you're, of course you're going to say you nice love things me. to me. Yes, <laughs> yeah. yes, yes. You're seeing me differently. Than yes. You. No, but the audience, well, I just didn't feel, I felt weird and I just didn't I feel like we're I was so connected. But it's also what probably pushes us. Also, another thing that I remember, I mean, I did your po- other podcast years ago, but um, you and I work very hard, very hard. And I think maybe those anxieties and those things push us to keep working and like, if we if we came off stage and thought we were great every time, we would probably be satisfied. But we're, we keep pushing ourselves. Well, and to get also, more. honestly, but the truth of the matter is, like, whatever metric is in our head for how, because right? you know, as comedy people, we want to destroy every time. Yes, and but that means something very specific in our heads, and I'm not sure if it's a combination of like I've really felt like I was firing on all cylinders. You know, I riff a lot with the audience, and there are times where. I can sort of feel, and I imagine this is what the zone feels like, which is just like the the experience of being purely in the present. Yeah. Where it just feels, it's just that like Sam Raimi Spider-Man time where everything slows down and you can see the wings on the fly flapping slowly. Sure, man. And you know like, here's what I'm saying now. There's where I'm going next. There's a guy in the audience back there that said something and then I'm going to take a left turn in that. And then it's like, you're just fully present for everything and it kills those to me, but those don't happen every single time, nor I think would you appreciate them if they did. Sam Rice, who now runs or owns college humor just recently, uh, had this line. He came to one of my shows and he was talking about it. We had a really fun show. We had a fun show. We had a fun show. And he came up and he's like, oh, I, I – I, uh, he, he was very complimentary and very kind. And I've been friends with him for years because I you know, did college humor shit when I was very young. And uh, he's like, I know what it is when you're on stage and you're doing that stuff. I saw it. And I go, what is it? He goes, that's meditation for you. <laughs> he goes, you're meditating because exactly what you explained. He goes, meditation is basically you're not able to think about anything but what's happening in that moment. Right. And he goes, and exactly what your zone is is exactly that. When we're, when we're improvising and things are going well, well, and we're not in our heads being like, oh, what's going on right now? You, All you're thinking about is what's happening in that moment, reacting to the thing in front of you. And I was like, I never thought about that like that before, but I guess there's an aspect of that that's really like for, that. Yeah, for you in particular, but also um, it's because of the improv, but, you know, it, but, but it's just when you do a lot of shows, some shows you kill effortlessly, some shows you bomb working hard, some show, you know, a, some shows are just don't feel like anything, you're just sort yeah. of in the middle, but the audience can, it's like, you can't really. That's you judging that's you. That's you judging you. That's you not can't, the audience. You can't really say what the audience thinks no. or how they're. Like, you have to allow them to feel how they're going to feel. Yes. But and also take things that you didn't even think from it. Like, people will come out of shows and be so happy 
And then I was like, oh, okay, great. But it's because we're very hard on ourselves, but also we're able to, we've been doing it so long now that it's like, we're able to be like, oh, that was a good, you know, like the audience had fun. That was fun for us. What can we do a little bit better? Um, but we don't, pre- like before shows, we don't warm up. We literally are on our cell phones backstage. Uh, and for Largo, our monthly show, we get to the theater five minutes before the show starts. We put our microphones on and we go out on stage. We don't do any warm ups anymore. We don't do anything. And then when it's over, we do two shows in one night and then we're gone. Like it's just like second nature to us, and it's super What's fun. The, there, there's some oh boy, this is going to come out pretentious. There, there there's there's oh, some. I can't, I can't wait. Remember. I can't wait for you to ruin it. <laughs> can't wait for you to make a mistake. <laughs> so much at risk here, Chris. Come on, you're on a All time rope. All of it. So, uh, and I'm going to totally butcher this story, but the but the idea of it you'll get. But it's this, you know, like. It's like uh, Picasso's an old man. He's in a cafe. He scribbles. Is this some... a sketch you wrote, or this is a real life? No, this is a real life thing. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. So Picasso's you're a Pica- man. Okay, you're he's Picasso. Sketching. Uh, okay. There's a barista. Okay. We need a all barista. right. A barista. Yeah. I'll have a yeah. coffee. What? Yeah. I can't. What? Okay. Yeah. He gives Picasso a mug, but the mug is in the oh, shape of a polyhedron. It doesn't hey, make any sense. I can't put my water hey. in this fucking yeah. polyhedron. Uh, it just won't hold water. I'm a Picasso. You call this art. So, um, it, but the but the story is something to the effect of. You know, he scribbles something on a napkin, and then a woman leans over and says, hey, I'll buy that from you. And he goes, okay, great, you know, $50,000. And she's like, $50,000? That took you like 20 seconds to draw. And he said, no, it took me 60 years. <laughs> Basically, the sum total of all of, your, all of the work that you've put into this point allows you to show up and just jump on stage. I think that's so, – I, I mean, of course, we're not – You don't feel – not- Comparing Picasso to what long form improv. That's how I read what you assholes. were doing. I no, 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 no. <laughs> There's literal scenes where I'll go, I gotta get in that asshole and jump into an asshole and end up in like Willy Wonka's chocolate factory. You don't think Picasso probably painted some pictures of assholes that he didn't share with the world? Of course he did. He wrote. Yeah, he's probably. a guy. He's a person. Yeah, he, you're he, he painted right. some shit jokes. Of course, just but like a butt with right. like with blocks of shit coming out in yeah. weird squares. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I do think you're absolutely right that it's like in any art form, in any work, you know, even someone that works at a steel mill or blah blah blah. Once you put in your hours, it becomes second nature you can kind of you can which kind is, of do it I, it, it's just precision. sort of killing the myth that people are like well, you guys don't even do any work you just show up and it's oh, like no yes but 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 like it, that years took years to get to that years point years of failing um and and do you do are you more comfortable now i'm always jealous of the the will ferrell stories about how on snl if a sketch didn't go well he'd just be like eh, oh well and then it just didn't stick with him for whatever reason right. to me that is like freedom because as comedians a lot of times i like you said we can just torture ourselves over a sure. bit oh why did i say this yeah. god i wasn't listening and then this oh and i and this person was in the room oh fuck you know right right right, right. for me to th- uh, it's i'll ha- if there's like a move that i missed or something like that or it was my fault or so- if something felt like it was my fault i'll still get in my head like that stuff that sticks with me or we don't really if somebody like i'm trying to think of like the last thing that really stuck in my head but if if a show went poorly, it would bum me out, and then I'd be able to erase it in my – not erase it totally, but be like, well, we have another show next week or two weeks. I would want a show to redeem myself. Well, that's why performing a lot helps because yes. if you have one show a month and that show didn't go well, then you, in your mind you failed 100% of the time that month. If you have 10, 20 shows, 
they're going to run the gamut of, yes. and you're like, oh, and then you kind of take the overall average and go, oh, I did okay. And, I and did that's shows. happened before where we'll have two shows at Largo and our first show, uh, which the audience was very cool about, but I'll be like, oh, I feel like I could have done that better. I want, like, I'm really happy you have one more shot tonight. Mm-hmm. And then the second show will be totally different. You know what I mean? The, whatever the audience has given us. And then if that was like a redemption, I'll be like, all right, better. But if right. my second show is a little bit crappier, I will say we've, we've done it long enough where we never come off stage being like, well, we bombed. That was terrible. Right. Because... We can always keep a show afloat. Absolutely. Sometimes it's a little bit more clunky. Sometimes we're sweating, you know what I mean, to get through it. But uh, usually, you know, especially when we're on our home, Largo's like our home court. It's right. like, you know, going to MSG if you're on the Knicks. Well, I got to, well, the Knicks, just, although the Knicks lose every game now, so it's a I terrible don't understand metaphor. that reference. Sorry, um, also, Knicks are a popular basketball team mm, in the NBA. NBA is the National Basketball Association. It's not the National Bowling? It? Round ball into basket. Ugh. Oh, okay. Uh, Michael Jordan. The, the Mayans. Oh, Space Jam. Space, Jam. Oh, Space Jam. Yeah. Oh, so, okay. So the Knicks were playing Bugs Bunny. And That's then, correct. Uh, to, the, Monsters right, versus. Right, right, the, right, right, yeah, right, so right. right. Um, but uh, um, 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 when you – because you, you have to sort of cultivate the, the – the other kind of UCB thing is don't think. Yes. So like you just say whatever – you just say whatever comes to your mind. Do, are you ever worried like – do you, do you have to censor yourself, though, if you're like, oh, I'm, my brain is going to this place that I've – this is a well I've drawn from a lot. This is a, a joke I've made a lot. Or, oh, that's too offensive of a thing. I can't say it. It just popped I, in. So you have to, like, really edit quickly. It's, it's more so now than before, much like how stand-ups will sometimes, you know, veer away from stuff or something like that. Sure. But the first one, uh, which was uh, have I gone down that road before, all, all the time I will stop myself. If there's a suggestion – like oftentimes someone will say uh, graduation. So we'll talk to them and we will ask them questions. And if we're on stage, I will never allow or I'll try my best to never allow a moment be anything similar to what it was. Now, we can have proposals. We can have different versions of what proposals look like. But if there's a proposal that someone goes to the top of a mountain and proposes, we won't do that again. Mm-hmm. And I will I – will, um, uh, it's funny because in real life I'll forget a lot of shit, but in shows – um, I'm pretty good at remembering a little bit. So um, I will make sure we don't go down those paths. And if something does feel like it will be offensive or something like that, my brain will veer away from it. Just or, trim um, it out. Yeah. Or if it's happening, if, if someone on stage, uh, we, you know, throughout my career, if someone on stage is doing something that I'm like, this is not going to go, I will call it out so it feels like, you know, like that you can't do that. That's bad. You can't say that. You know what I mean? Right. And make it so whatever. Or you learn. If somebody on stage in your group says something and the audience feels offended or something like that, you kind of take it in. You learn. Uh, I mean, it, w- it can also be something that they didn't even mean for You could also offensive. make them a character in the improv that yeah. would – that. You but know. I, try my, I'm ve- I try my best to be very, very safe. Um, and I would never do something. Uh, no, because you want people to feel good and have yeah, fun. Yeah, I, I, I really try my best never to do something offensive. I'm sure in my you know whatever career. But that, but that is, but but what my point is that in the sort of don't think that sort of upper level of that is like sometimes you do have to think, but still be able to yes. think around. Well, if you're playing characters also and someone's like a, a stereotypical or like if someone's like a very flamboyant uh, uh, gay character or homosexual or LGBTQ, it's like I, how do – I, I don't want to offend anybody. So I don't want to get on stage and do like right. – someone is from Japan. We had, a, right. we had a show the other day that someone was going to Japan or something like that. I was like, I can't – I'm not going to do that accent. Right. I just can't do you that can't. accent. No, you should. Because I, I just won't. Yeah. So it's like – so I will come on stage uh, you know, as a Japanese person that has a perfect American accent and justify. <laughs> that as opposed to you know back in the day it might have been a little bit uh, uh different but it hasn't deterred us or taken us away from the comedy at all i would imagine that it wouldn't because again when you get to that upper level 
when you get to that upper level of improv, those are just the and, – and sometimes impediments can be gifts because having to think around stuff, like you – it's basically you're just given another set of rules, which is what people are giving you when they're giving you suggestions. They're giving you a set of rules to follow. It's interesting, yeah. And so you are – and that's why I think, you know, especially if you're writing or you're creating something and you get – you know, like weird network notes or you have limited budget or whatever, those are gifts in a way because you have – it forces you to be creative. Yeah. To have to think around those. Yeah, man. Um, I mean think about – I'm sure I'm sure Indiana Jones – I mean wasn't it written as like a B-type movie? Like the first – wasn't Raiders like a B-type movie or like some of those – or even Jaws with all the problems with Jaws? Like didn't Spielberg have to figure out ways around the the shark that wasn't working? Oh, yeah, like yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's like all – I think a, a lot of that stuff lends itself to – Nice try, Spielberg. Yeah, man. Whatever you, happened? You, you'll get guy. it next time. You're God. Crazy. Ne- next shark movie, I guess. Have you ever talked to him? Um, I've met – I've moderated a panel with – oh, God. I, 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 I did an embarrassing thing. Did you? Yeah. I had an embarrassing moment. The only time I met him was embarrassing for me too. Okay, you you want me to go first or you want to go first? Yours is going to be better. Mine is a very tiny it's one. Not, it's not great. It's not horrible. It's just like, it's one of those like, why did I do that? So I was moderating a panel. Might have been Ready Player One and he was on it. I met, and Ernie Klein? Yeah, er, Ernie Klein's Love book. Him. Yeah. And um, backstage, you know, we were all taking pictures and I, oh God, I'm even saying this and I, do you not want to do it? No, I'll say it. It's just embarrassing. And I asked him when we were taking a picture if we could just touch the tips of oh, our fingers together. Oh, my and God. he was like, no, 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 no. Like, he, <laughs> he brushed it off in a way that was a little, like... Uh, not uh, it was just like he was just like no you know <laughs> he just you like batted it away shot. you took your shot I took my shot and then afterwards I was like oh of course and then in retrospect I was like why did I but you know I guess I took the swing because it, it, and and I knew that it was a corny thing to do like it I wanted to explain like no 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 I know it's a corny like it's for comedy Ugh. and uh, but you know like sometimes you do take a swing uh, and sometimes people are they're like oh my god of course you know like but, yeah, yeah, yeah. but for him in particular it's like he's been asked literally everything and so it was a very quick moment that's and, it's a great story though. I, did you it, take a picture with him though? we took a picture but I had that you know that feeling where you feel diarrhea brewing and your face gets hot. Uh, and you're, yeah, and you, it's called the panic attack. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I could feel that, that, uh, that shame spiral. Oh. of uh, And uh, no little alien could put his finger on my heart and make it feel no, better. You couldn't, you couldn't no. turn a flower. All right, so what was yours? Mine was I was at uh, Bad Robot. I, I'd, uh, I'd, I mean, I'd done some stuff with JJ over the years where he's been very kind. And so um, if I was in near where his office was, he'd be like, hey, just step by the office. We'll get you an office if you need to write because I write movies all the time. And he's been very cool. So oftentimes, if there's a free office at Bad Robot, uh, I would go in and write. Uh, but there are no offices available. So I just went on uh, one of the assistance desks because uh, the assistant was gone. And I was at the assistance desk. And all the assistants there are very smart and lovely. And it's like a fun little place. So I'm, I'm writing. And Steven Spielberg walks in to have a meeting with JJ. And I never met JJ. I've never met Steven Spielberg before. So him coming in was like, I'm assuming what Elvis feels like for someone who loves music. Oh, my God. Of course. It was like. Uh, I, I saw his face and my heart my heart was like I got so nervous <laughs> it'd be like if you were an altar boy during a mass and then like Jesus walked in and was like I'm just gonna wash up a little bit uh, Jesus? you guys gonna eat my body later? Okay, uh, yeah your hands are bleeding oh uh, shit okay yeah I gotta, I'm okay, gonna yeah, go wipe yeah, these yeah. off so I'm cool. gonna go wipe oh, my, these oh off my God, did you fucking see Jesus? oh my god so he goes in to have a meeting with JJ this is years ago too and um, 
I'm in, I'm on the desk, and the desk I happen to be working on, I don't remember uh, whose uh, whose assistant was supposed to be there, but behind there was all the busts of heads that, like, you know, they made for different movies sure. for Bad Robot, and they're all behind me. And um, I know that he's going to, so, like, you know, JJ's office was kind of in front of me, so when they come back out, he would have to come, and I would see his face, and it would be whatever, and I'm writing a movie. Um, and it was, like, a movie for, like, Paramount, or no, Universal or something. It was, like, a, I was writing a real movie there. I was, like, doing, like, a real thing, so, like, if he asked me what it was, I could even be like, oh, I'm, you know what I mean? <laughs> but I wanted to play, I, I wanted to, all I wanted to do was say hello to him, but I'm, I get very nervous around people that I'm, like, really respect, and I, would ne- I never have the balls to go up to someone that I, you know, whatever. Yeah. So JJ comes out with him. I'm at the desk writing away, and then JJ goes, oh, uh, I don't know what he calls him, Steve or Steven or whatever. He goes, Steven, do you know Ben? And, uh, you know, just like, because I'm very close with JJ. I've known him for years. And Steven's like, oh, I don't, I don't think so. Uh, ben, how are you? And I, I get up, and I'm like, good. He's like, oh, what's it like to be at that desk all day with all those busts looking at you? <laughs> so he thinks I'm just one of the assistants there. And I fucking just played along with it and acted like I was an assistant. And I See, said, that's a good story. I was like, and I was like, oh, you know what? It feels a little uncomfortable because they're looking at me all day. It makes me work harder. <laughs> and he laughed a little bit, and he left. And JJ didn't even say, "Oh, he doesn't. He doesn't work here." <laughs> well, he probably, to be fair, on the sort of like hierarchy of creative people, JJ probably still has a little bit of like, "Look, I know I'm friends with Spielberg, but maybe, uh, yeah, he still has the a little bit of reverence because he. How could he not?" I literally, so I just, and that was it. And then he left. And uh, n- there's nothing wrong with being an assistant. I was an intern in a page for years, but uh, it was no. So and it's funny. just like you, you instead of because in my head. It would have been way more awkward for me to be like, oh, no, no, I'm, I don't work here. I'm writing a, you know what yeah. I mean? Instead, I was just like, you know what? Just have a, he's never going to remember this. This is for me. That's the thing is that yeah. they don't remember. Because someone, I, I got introduced to him briefly at SNL like two years later. And I felt, and part of me was like, I've heard he has a great memory for stuff though. Oh. So I was like, oh, is he going to remember me as the dude that touched? And then, uh, and I thought, no, he doesn't. And if he does, he doesn't give a shit. And he's going to forget about me the second he walks I'm like not on that guy's radar. I want to the I want to meet him when I'm doing a movie for him. That's like I want to you know what I mean. Like yeah. that's like well, how whatever. And then I'll never mention that I've ever met him before in the past. <laughs> that's <laughs> oh my God, before. you were an assistant at, at Bad Robot. I'm so you? afraid that he's going to say, "Good for you, man. Good for <laughs> but at you." At least that's a positive story, you know. At least yes, but also story. like I just pl- I literally yes ended his idea. <laughs> he's but like, that's again that's improv training in life. What true. what do you tell yourself when you obsess over things? Like if you have a bad show. Or if you have a bad interaction with someone that you respect, or you said a stupid thing, or something didn't go the way you wanted, and then you're lying in bed at night, and then it's you know like the sort of the anxiety vultures start to picking away sure. at the scraps of your brain, and then do you have a thing that you like? How do you talk yourself down instead of that? Oh God, because you know like when you get into the spiral, it's just like well, it there's gets a worse whole and worse version and worse of therapy that literally deals with that spiral, and that spiral is something that I've had my whole life, but. Uh, at the beginning, when I was on a team called Hot Sauce and we're first starting, it felt like everything was on the line with every show. So, like, because you just want to break so bad, you want you want somebody to care about what you're doing. So, I would really torment myself when I had bad improv shows, and it would I, it would really affect me, and I couldn't stop. And it would take like sleeping or me being upset. I wouldn't go out afterwards, like you know, some people go drinking, and I'd just be really upset at myself. Now I have learned to separate it know that that's one show also you and i have done so many that it's like it goes in a pile of you know thousands as opposed to the beginning of your career when it's like one of 50 shows you've ever done then right. 60 show, they, they mean so much more that means like one fiftieth of all your shows were the worst shows in the world right so it's like now i'm able to with acting sometimes with acting i'll have a scene where 
I wish I nailed it harder, and that'll stick with me. Or if I have an audition, auditions because you have one shot in the room, right? I will replay the audition in the elevator uh, many times. I will do an audition, and if I didn't think that I did it great, or if I didn't think I nailed it the way I wanted to, when I'm in the elevator on the way back down, I will do the scene again in my head, being like, "Why the fuck didn't I say it that way?" Well, that's that. that's the thing is that you're that that certain types of brain, certain types of obsessive brains, will do this thing that I call hate fishing, that's which great, is great term. you. Replay the thing, like you come out and you go, I don't know if that was it, whatever it is, a show or whatever, an audition or whatever, meeting someone, you go, oh, that wasn't that great. And then your brain's just like scanning oh. and you go and you find that one moment, oh my God, and I said this thing, oh my God, and then they reacted in this weird way. Oh, was yes. that because of, yes. oh my God, and then the, and then the other person, yes. see, <gasps> and then you're in this full, 100%. that almost like you're, and, but you have to also remember like, is it possible that happened? Yes. And if that is po- and if that did happen, then it's like, well, so what? But the truth of the matter is, most of the time, and alarming most of the time, it's not exactly what you. I agree, it was. but the personal stuff that you just said is more the stuff that I would really torment myself over. If it's like, not even like, you, let's say you're in an audition, or let's say you're meeting somebody or something like that, and um, something happens, and you're like, oh my god, then he, then I did say this. Oh, did they get offended by that? I didn't mean it that way. Oh my yeah. god, and then. Then that'll really stick with me, and it's it, that's way harder for me to get out of my head than if I had a bad show. Because if I had a bad show, it's on stage. People have bad shows all the time. But if I said something and I was like, "Oh, wait, I was joking around. Did that person not know I was doing a bit? Did that person yeah. not know I was doing a bit? Yeah. Should I text that person and tell yeah. them I'm sorry?" And then someone will be like, "Ben, what do you don't text? Then you're making it a thing. They're right. probably not even thinking about it. Yeah, they're probably not thinking about us the second we're not in front of their no, face anymore. We we're thinking about it. And the other thing that's been very comforting is I've had people call me the next day after an interaction be like, I just have to say, I am so sorry that I said, you know, X, Y, or Z. And I go, what? I don't know what you're talking about. Or God, I didn't even, I didn't even think what? No. Yeah. And so that's spiraling. That's been literally... on the other side of it. I feel like, Oh, you know what? It's not, you know, it's, it's not... a part. If anybody feels that, know that it's an actual part of this whole thing. Yeah. Both Chris and I have felt that in real ways. Or if someone gets offended from something, I'll do something that I don't even see. Uh, I was like, oh, I, I, I didn't even see that someone could take it offensive. This very, very rarely happens. And then um, someone will say like, oh, this bumped me weird. And I'll be like, oh, I didn't even, I, that wasn't even my intention in the scene. But I guess if you're looking at it from that way, maybe. Right. Okay. I, I feel terrible. I'm just going to learn that. There are way, you know, like uh, to make sure to cover all my bases. Like, I, that's not what I was doing. That literally what you're saying wasn't what I was doing, but I will learn from that. Anytime right. there's something like that, someone gets offended, I'll try to learn from that. But there's some things that we can't, like, there's a review where someone had, like, we did a show about pregnancy, and then there's a review online um, where someone said, I hated this show because um, it was either they had a troubled pregnancy, and I was like, oh, well, we can't. You know what I mean? Right. Like, we didn't even have... There wasn't a problem with the pregnancy. Someone was just pregnant on stage. Right. Like, when we were playing a pregnant character, and that person had a personal experience that they had a problem with their pregnancy, so they couldn't watch a show that right. someone was pregnant. And I was like, oh, we can't handle that, because that will take every... Then you take off everything kind of off the table. Right. You know what I mean? Like, well, it, it also, like... Or, like, you know how I was doing an Italian accent at the beginning of the podcast. Yes. <laughs> to be fair, my yeah. great-grandparents immigrated from Italy. Right. And, uh, and to like, be fair, you're cooking a pizza right now. <laughs> it is a delicious. Uh-huh. Um, and my great grandmother, my great grandparents, they talk like a de- like they talked like 
they sounded like Godfather characters right. to me, you know, when I was growing up. Because I was fortunate enough that they were alive for the first, gosh, you know, 10 or 12 years of my life. Yeah, that's great. Um, so, uh, but... Your great-grandparents were? Great-grandparents, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You're very lucky. Yeah, Maria, uh, Maria and Alfonso. How old were they when they passed away? They were 89 and 96. Wow. And they had been together for like... Two years. 72. Oh. <laughs> they just met near the end. <laughs> they were on the Tinder they prototype. They filmed in Louisa at the yeah, end. Yeah, yeah, they did. Um, they uh, they were together for like 72 years. It's unbelievable. Um, so it uh, – but it, it it is also – especially in those situations where you're like beating yourself up. Oftentimes I think if you can – if you can first of all say like, well, it happened how it happened – you know, yep. like life is fla- all flavors of everything, which is a very kind of stoic thing. Good things happen, you know, perceived bad things happen, and we just. But if you can learn from them and go, oh, okay, well, learning next from time- them is a huge thing. Oh, just anything. Also, watching how people react to things in the real world and learning from that. Like, oh, okay, that you know, just try and be aware of of things. I think is good. Well, it's but also- I think a lot of it is also you have to be. Uh, n- not about offending people. We, re- we really haven't had much problem with that at all. But uh, about the stuff that you were talking about, that spiraling, about personal stuff, let's say you just meet somebody and you're like, oh, did I say something weird? Is that person, did I, that joke not land? It is a, it's a practice to al- let it go because if not, you can torment yourself. I remember a therapist uh, uh, once said that like, it's like a-, a thing can happen, right? But the suffering that you put yourself through, that's on you. You're making yourself suffer. Yes, yes, Let's yes. say I'm not sure, like I'm not happy with a role that I got f- five years ago. I wish I was doing something more. I wish I played the character different or whatever. I'm driving myself crazy about it. That's me. I'm doing that to myself. Yeah. Nobody else is doing Nobody that Nobody else is either. doing that to yourself. And also like I, uh, but, uh, but I, I tend to like not, like if I just meet someone and we trade and we trade numbers and we're starting to become friends, I tend to not like text jokes at them, like like doing bits because I was like, well, I don't know what. I'll just let them do it first, and then that'll sort of inform like where what we're at. What if you both are doing the same thing and you guys never get to be funny with each other? Well, then then to each other, we're just not we're very serious, <laughs> not funny people, and that's just how it is. That's crazy. But um, but but also it just sort of accepting that. You know, it's like it's all it's all part. It doesn't all have to be one flavor all the time. Like you don't have to kill all the time. And also, your value as a human being isn't whether or not you kill. You know, right. like you're not you're not your career. But 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 being able to um, it, the what, the kind of unfair thing about comedians though with our brains is that. A good, good, comedians are by nature very detail oriented, and if you're a, a good improviser. What makes those improvs good is detail. Yes. So you correct. are constantly you're a noticer and you're a deconstructor. And when you don't have something externally to deconstruct, then that mechanism just turns on your own brain. Oh, that's I remember someone <laughs> explained that with uh Robin Williams is so brilliant and so you know so quick and everything. It's like, you know, imagine if that stuff that's going so quick in his head was used for evil against himself. It just doesn't it doesn't just shut off. It's, like yeah, that's it's still you know what I mean? I was like, wow, someone explained that once was the very, very the people that are just functioning at like high levels and you know, their brains are moving so fast. Imagine if that is you being used against them in their personal life. I was like, wow, man, yeah. that would be a disaster. I mean, it is basically it's like a digestive enzyme that without external food just starts consuming itself kind of crazy you know for the protein so yeah it, it is a lot of like i think you know like just being 
cool with yourself and then and listen sometimes we you know people do say dumb things in conversations or they do ask steven spielberg to touch tips of fingers <laughs> and you just have to laugh at it and go i was a fucking idiot i don't know like you yeah know, but, I, but we don't we don't always do the the you know the perfect thing and every because you know like we but a lot of that comes from you know like my my the, the fault that i brought to that is in my head i was like i really want Steven Spielberg to like me. Yeah. I really want to be liked. Of course. And that is This is your moment to meet an idol. There's nothing wrong with that, but it's a it's it's a dangerous place to come from because it's a desperate place to come from as opposed to just like we're going to say hi, I have no expectations. We're probably not going to have an exchange where he invites me to come, you know, uh, 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 hang out with him somewhere. Right. It's like I, But also think about your want being like I really want him to like me. And that must be everybody that's ever met him. Of course him. it is. It must be. Of course it is. And he's just a normal dude, I'm sure. You know and what I mean? he can't... It's not his responsibility to like no. everyone. No. You know, that's uh, that's our responsibility, I think, to just sort of bring a more realistic and 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 better self-esteem plate to the table. Yeah. It's like, hey, nice to meet you, you know? Like, oh, we'll take a quick picture. Thanks, you know? But sometimes you can read... If someone kind of does bits with you, like sometimes you'll yeah. meet people who will do bits with you, yeah. and then then you know, like, okay, can we do... And then they go, oh my God, of course. I've had people come up to me. I've oftentimes found out that when people find out you're a comedian, or maybe they know you as a comedian, they'll try to, they'll try to be funny with you. Right. And I've had this so many times where like a guy will be with like... A, a guy will be at, with another friend or a guy will be with his girlfriend or something like that and immediately start shitting on the other person like to try to make me laugh. Because in their mind, it's comedy is a sword and not everyone should wield it. It was so... I mean, many times, uh, uh, it would be so weird and like so people want to make... And I understand the idea of like, maybe, you know, if I met a comedian that I liked that I would, you know, be like, how fun would it be if I like made that person laugh? But they'll... Sometimes people will try so hard. You're like, whoa, buddy, what are you doing? Like, right. It'd be like, yeah, this, uh, like, this is my girl. Like, like, this is my girlfriend. I was like, oh, nice to meet you. I'm like, yeah, she's not the best. She's kind of a bitch. I was like, what are you doing? <laughs> what that's? What are you wrong with you? Well, I think I, I, in those situations, it, I think it's sort of fun to, sort of, to try to diffuse it. Maybe like, oh, you're doing the old uh, take my wife please bit, you know, where you yeah. like call it out. I'll be like, you might want to take it down, and I yeah, she's like a nice human being. Yeah. Or, or you turn to the girl and go like, you could do better. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm so <laughs> like, sorry. You sort of I'm like so to sorry. diffuse the situation. Now is your time to run. Because I do like to meet people after shows because I really, I want them to have, a, I want them to have a fun, I want the experience to be fun. Well, you also implant microchips in anybody that comes to your shows so you can see where it's they go subtle, after. It's a subtle, I'll take the handshake and then the microchip is just in the sweat gland. Yes. And then it just wipes off if I'm shaking your hand. And then it's that very way, smart. It's really a marketing, because I can chip everyone and then I kind of know. You like, know where they are, you know what they do. I know what they're shopping for on Amazon. Yes. I can try to, you know, like. You change your act per that. I'm trying to pioneer like algorithmic comedy. Yeah, I remember uh, seven in years ago. In a way, ago, that's kind of what you guys do on stage. Algor- algorithm. A- algorithmic based comedy where you're basically like you're 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 taking something from the audience and then firing it back at them and then taking them down a path. We're taking the story and then to prove that it's all made up, we kind of like wind all people it in. do. They say middle ditch and short middle ditch and Schwartz the Amazon of comedy. A lot right? of people, that, yeah. a lot of people are calling us. Yeah, it's crazy. <laughs> it's insane. I remember seven years ago after you did that thing where you had like uh, thirty minutes just on Jamba Juice. Right. Yeah, because it was huge at the time. Everybody was going from your shows to Jamba Juice because I was kind of hoping that it was 
was it was you know to take branding off of social media yes. like just into life so yeah. you know I did a lot of bits with like power shots very and, smart uh, yeah 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 really smart yeah stuff. but you also have to know when to not do it yeah of course you know so uh, I moved on now to um, I don't know if it's a I just do a lot of yogurt bits now a lot of so, yogurt yeah, bits yeah, like yogurt yeah your whole Jamie Lee Curtis yogurt bit is hilarious <laughs> well that's shit yogurt yeah of course that's yogurt that makes you shit you got it that's a whole different kind of, course, of yogurt of course it's a beautiful type were you performing in LA yeah you do your monthly show is it like a specific weekend every month we try to do it uh, one night a month and we do two shows a night that's Largo but because it's a smaller venue they kind of sell out quick and then we do tours if you go to middleditchandschwartz.com for the rest of the year I don't know when this comes out for the rest of the year we have probably like uh, probably 10 more shows I mean you guys are really kill- you're playing big venues it's on the very road, crazy and you're selling them out it's been very surreal it, we, it has been very very surreal I think it's about to be our year or two year anniversary of playing in Carnegie Hall which is a big that's incredible it's crazy so um, it has been a growth that literally we were doing Largo and Thomas wanted to tour and it wasn't something that I really wanted to do because I was like I got work I want work to do and then he convinced me to tour and we toured small places and then bigger and then now we're doing bigger ones and uh, there was a question at the beginning, like, well, there's got to be a limit. You can't go too big. We're two people on stage making crap up, like in a small, we'll do small scenes, you know mm-hmm. what I mean? And we're trying to push it and figure out where it, where it fits and where it works. And it's been really lovely to see people react to it. That's the cool thing, bringing long form improv to a city that doesn't have a ton of it and seeing the audience react and be like, whoa, that's crazy. That That is awesome. That feeling is mm-hmm. awesome. The idea of touring is draining. You're going on planes all day. You're, you know, and your shows are exhausting. Do you do more than one a night? We did two last night, but if it's a bigger venue, we can't sell out more than once. But if it's a smaller, smaller venue, we'll do two. The Chicago Theater is like three thousand. Like it's some thirty six hundred. It was insane. It yeah. is a crazy, and I don't know if people know. Like there are only a very small percentage of comedians who can sell above three thousand. I mean, it's like it's a ludicrous. It's a number. handful. We it's, are, and I'm very, I'm like well aware. Like when we played this Portland, but even theater, three is insane. Oh, it's bananas. It is. Truly, and also we usually when we started bread performing for ninety people, hundred people, and we couldn't sell out. You know what I mean? So it's like that long form improv. One of the other things we're trying to show is because stand up, you could see people play the cellar, but then you could see Kevin Hart sell at a stadium. Yeah, that exists. But for improv, you see people at UCB or you see people at the Pit or the Magnet or wherever you are at movie, and it's at the at the comedy theater. It's a black box theater, Second City Improv Olympic, and it's usually about one hundred fifty or one hundred twenty people, and that's it. So now with this special, we're showing you that you can also play it in a theater of I forget what the capacity was that we filmed in maybe eight hundred or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and so like that exists. That do- a video of that doesn't exist yet. Now we're showing people that hey, it doesn't have to be in this. We we can do it here. Like anybody can do it here too. So I think that's going to be a cool thing for people to see because for stand up it exists. You could see Kevin Hart play these stadiums in improv. Um, the there, I think there's been a couple specials. Not a lot of stadium improv groups. No, and I don't think stadium improv would. Work. I mean, maybe one day we get to do it, or like even, you wouldn't want to do it. I don't. It, I think it'd be tough. Like Radio City Music Hall to me would be like, just because I'm from New York, I was like, how crazy would it be if we played Radio City Music Hall, which I think is six thousand or something like that. Yeah, that would be insane. But it's still at least a theater, and we like when we pick venues, we like to go to places that like plays and theater, like a theater theater to us feels like a cool place to be, um, but. Uh, you know, I think there was a Ascat did a um, special on Bravo, which was kind of like a set with a couple, maybe a hundred people watching. And then TJ and Dave, there's a documentary where they had footage of them performing. And then I did a, a long form improv special for Showtime, mm-hmm. but it was at the old UC, it was at UCB Franklin, um, which was like 120 people. So now we're showing you can put it in a theater, and it still translates. Yeah, and I think that'll be a cool thing if it works. And I hope people. Dig it. Oh, I can't believe we talked. We never, I never talk about this stuff. It's usually Sonic and stuff like that. This episode 
is brought in part to you by Audible, your go-to destination for thrilling audio entertainment. Whether you're looking for a hair-raising experience to enjoy while you're on the move or eager to dive into sinister and shocking tales, Audible has an exclusive collection of thrillers from best-selling authors that will keep you on the edge of your seat. Like James Patterson's first audio-only thriller, The Coldest Case. Experience stories like never before, where every chilling detail is brought to life by captivating sound design. Plus, as an Audible member, choose one title a month to make yours forever. And now, new members can try Audible free for 30 days. Just visit audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. That's audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Oh, well, I mean, obviously Sonic is coming out soon. Yes. When does this come out, do you think? Do you have any idea? Uh, well, it'll, it'll come out. March 11th. Oh, my God. That's years from now. It's years from now. God, how it'll many, be, you have so many podcasts it'll be, it'll be in here the can? In, in, it'll be here in no time. What's the most excited you are about a podcast between now and March? Um, that hasn't come out yet? Yeah. Well, we're pretty close to... We haven't... We don't have a lot in the can at this point. Okay. Especially over the holidays. Like, we sort of burn yeah. through. Uh, but I wonder... I can't even remember who's... What? Oh yeah, I, I am kind of excited about that. <laughs> There's a I, I watched a um, Michelle Monaghan told me about this documentary called The Biggest Little Farm. Yeah, and it's basically just about how this couple just decides like let's just start a farm and see if we can create a sustainable farm. We'll just quit our fucking jobs. He was a like a, a cinematographer for nature documentaries, and she was a food blogger. And they were just like let's just fucking move to a farm. So they bought this like pile of dirt in Moorpark, California. And they worked with this guy, and they the documentary is their seven year journey of turning it into a sustainable farm. Oh, and because he was cool. a cinematographer, it's like so beautifully and stunningly shot, and it is so moving because there's so much good life stuff in it. Because every time, every time they like you know like break through another barrier, they get a whole host of new problems. Yeah, and they fight against a problem. They fight against a problem, and they and then they realize that they have to. In the, the successful thing for them to do is to figure out how to work with the problem instead of trying to fight oh, it. Oh, that's great. And so it just – and they turn it into this incredible – Where is it located? What city? Park. It's like an hour out of L.A. Oh, great. And uh, so, I'm, so I'm actually really excited about that because I just – to watch people like the, the, the dedication and the craft and the passion. Uh, but then also just – I think there are so many lessons to extrapolate from – look – we build up these ideas in our head like if then if i achieve this then i will be happy it's like we're constantly delaying happiness because we chase happiness like it's a drug and which is i think is a completely incorrect way to perceive happiness mm. it's not like an endorphin rush it shouldn't be like an endorphin rush that we're chasing but anyway and you don't ever foresee like well what are the issues going to be when i get to that place and 
then you, you get to the place, not only do you have problems, but it doesn't, it doesn't fulfill you in a sustainable way, the way you think it's going to. And so how do you sort of deal with that? How do you handle obstacles? And how do you make them work for you? How do you learn from things? And so I'm just so eager to learn That'd about, cool about also. all that It's also that different. Stuff. I love that stuff. Yeah. I mean, it just, it, it's I, like, like that sort of interdisciplinary, like lesson stuff. Yeah. Where I was like, well, they're not making comedy, but they have created a, a near, they've achieved a near impossible feat with what they did. Well, I've always, I always think uh, for us, and I think same for stand up, although I'm, uh, I'm ignorant when it comes to stand up. I only did it very few times in my life at the very beginning. Um, that like I was a psych- psychology anthropology major. Oh, so yeah, I wasn't a that into arts until maybe the last year of college or whatever. And so um, th- that is great. And also just living and doing things and learning about other things helps the mm-hmm. idea of creating your own comedy and stuff like that. There's a note I got because I was I was so obsessed with improv at the beginning. Um, I was I would wake up at six a.m. I would freelance jokes for Letterman's monologue. Then I was a page at Letterman. Then after that, I'd go and become uh, an intern or a bartender at UCB. Then I'd either take a class, and then I'd try to take the I try to do the last show, which like you know the beginners could do at UCB or whatever. And I do it day day out. And I found out all I was doing was comedy. And there was a teacher named Christina Gauss. I've talked about this before. Who's a great Chicago improviser? And she's like, and I was like, I feel like I'm in a rut. I feel like I'm just like doing similar type scenes. And I explained to her my day. She's like, well, you're improvising off of improv, off of shows you've seen. You have to go out. She's like, go out. Do things. Yeah, go do things. And that was a huge one for me because I love comedy and I love improv so much that it was all I wanted to be around and all I wanted to do. And I forgot to like live life. And then I have nothing to improvise or write off of. Would you want to be not as neurotic, but if it meant you also had to give up being as funny? Would you would you trade in like would you want a more like oh I'm just sort of in general I'm you know don't have a lot of highs don't have a lot of lows just kind of happy content but also maybe not as funny I think um, I would not want to trade that I luckily as I've gotten older uh, and I'm sure you feel the same way you, your neuroses kind of go away a little bit right a little bit right you know or you recognize them and know how to deal with them right you recognize that the anxiety is coming and da, da, da. so I've been better at dealing with that. Um, but I think that stuff and that, that drive at the beginning, especially of me just wanting to be able to make any money in this business so I can keep doing it. Right. I didn't care if I made money, money. I just wanted to do this. I wanted to do this so bad at the beginning. Uh, so it's like that drive has been very helpful. And you work in a lot of different areas as yes. an actor, as a writer, yeah. as an improviser, improviser and live performer. Yeah. Uh, is there anything else you're doing? Yeah, I direct stuff and then I produce. I've been executive producer in a couple of TV shows and movies and um, kind of a little bit of everything. I published four books. Jesus. Yeah. Um, so Doesn't it feel like you kind of have – I mean I'm sure all that stuff is fun. But doesn't it sort of feel like that the contemporary performer has to do like nine things to just sustain? It's interesting. I think it's like you follow what's interesting, but it's like, oh, I have this idea that would be good in this format. And so you see if you can sell that. But I published books. Like one of the first things I did was sell this book called um, uh, Grandma's Dead Breaking Bad News of Baby Animals. Uh-huh. And it's basically the cutest pictures of animals and then a text below it that says like, it's malignant or daddy's never coming home. <laughs> And it was before memes were a thing. <laughs> yep. So like I sold them as – with me and my friend Amanda McCall, uh, we sold them as postcard books. And the whole idea is you rip out the postcard and you send it to somebody to soften the news of the – you soften the blow of the bad news. Do people use them for like for real? Or yes. Just, oh, wow. And uh, we found out later they did. And it we sold a lot of copies and it was great. Then we sold, we'd sold two more like that. And then I, uh, so 
it was like at the beginning, I sold that stuff because I want to do anything. But also you find something that like sparks your interest. And like, what would be the best version of this? Is this a TV show? Is this a movie? Is that whatever? Um, but directing, I've been doing a little bit more directing. And um, we'll see if that's something. But I think at, for me, it'll, the biggest things will always be acting, writing, and then opportunities that come up for directing and producing that feel that coincide with maybe those other things. That that makes me interested. So two more things. And the last one, we should talk a little bit about Sonic. Yeah, please. Well, but- so if this comes out in March... Uh, Sonic has come out, and then um, Standing Up, Falling Down came out, the Billy Crystal movie. And then the next thing would be, I don't even know when it comes Space out. Space Force? So it would be the Middle Edition Schwartz specials, and then I believe Space Force after that. God, that's so great, ben. It's a very crazy I, year. I'm, I it's an insane one. I can't tell you how delighted I am for you. I like You're someone that I want, and you are winning, but you're someone that I want to win you're so all, kind. all the time because you are one of those people that I feel like, makes I feel funnier when I'm around you because you, that's an incredible compliment it, you 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 that's I, such a nice you, thing to you, say you make people funnier around you because you're a good you're just a good like you're funny but you're also a good activator and you're generous I love I love when people hit around me like uh doing that Italian bit me playing the straight man so you do that made me so happy it made me so happy too because it's improv I get to be this... and it's just dumb and it's fucking around and it's like yeah. you know that like we created something together which yeah, is so yeah, exciting yeah. And, and, and you have different chemistry with everyone yeah. which is why it's fun to collaborate but um what um oh, what was the last question uh, the last thing is Space Force oh yeah Space Force yeah and oh. then so- and then Sonic. Oh yeah. So what do you want to talk about? Just anything. Is there anything you want to? Because it it sure Sonic will have already come out, which should, this is exciting because uh, nobody's seen the movie yet, um, and I really like it a lot. It, I, I think it's really good. Also, Jim Carrey is so fucking good in this movie, and he like does it like he like brings a performance like old school nineties Jim Carrey, and uh, me watching it for the first time, I almost got emotional watching it because. I mean, it's not my face, but like my voice happens, and then the guy that I idolized growing up talks to it. Right. And it was, and also, I don't have a ton of opportunities to be a lead voice or lead anything in $90 million movies. So there's that feeling also (laughs) that you're watching this and like the effects are fucking amazing. And I was like, I'm a part of this. Like, people, like, oftentimes the movies I do, it'll be like, hey, mom, dad, okay, there's gonna be two nights. It's gonna be in a movie theater, this independent movie. You gotta go to this theater in Manhattan. And if you wanna see it, da da da. I saw you for like a half a second. Yeah, you yeah, walked yeah, through yeah, the yeah. frame. Yeah, yeah. Did you see me? I was great, though. Kind of. I had to squint. I don't know. That okay, was I tried you. to wink at you. That, that was me. Oh, so, I thought you were having a stroke. No, I, well, my character's having a stroke. Um, <laughs> oh, I didn't get that. So, oh, <laughs> my mom shits on my performance of me walking through a frame. It was a little lame. Oh, mom. Uh, but uh, for, for me, it's cool that like... Uh, it's better it's, than owning a cell. It's in theaters. Yeah. If you want to see this, it's in theaters at this day, which is a very cool feeling. And I think it's fun and I got to improvise a lot and I got to like... I love voiceover shit. Both you and I love animated I stuff. I love voiceover stuff. So it's like uh, I've had this path of voiceover that I've really worked hard. Uh, it's, it's hard to break into that field. And then once you're there, try to establish yourself enough because, I mean, I've been around legends and I can't do anything like... I've been around oh. like... Like uh, John DiMaggio or like DiMaggio, Maurice LaMarche, Bowser, Rob Paulson, Phil, yeah, 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 yeah. D. It's, Bradley Baker. Oh my like, God, they're these insane. guys that can. As I feel like I'm, I'm good at voiceover within a range, right? But it's, but there are like voices. The, where you're like, the ability oh my to do God. other like the people like uh, Kevin Michael Richardson who can like get yes. into a booth and do like seven voices talking to each other. Um, I am in awe. I'm, I'm, I can do a couple different voices and like what happens usually is I'll play. A version of myself that's either heightened or, or I'll find yeah, like a fun. Too. And then the fun thing is people don't know, but like in a lot of these episodes I've done, I'll play uh, ancillary voices where I'm playing. I'm just trying crazy shit out. Yeah. And nobody will ever know that's me. Yeah. And it's super fun to do that. But these dudes, 
uh, and women as well, uh, uh, um, are able to fucking uh, to, to watch them is like it's incredible. Or even talk think about the old Looney Tunes, man. Like yeah. there are people that just are able to do so many. June Foray or like it's Tress insane. McNeil or Tress Gray, McNeil is amazing. Gray Delisle. Pamela Hayden did the so Millhouse is my voicemail message. Uh. So it's like even watching her, I was like, can you just say Ben's not here right now? But you know everything's coming up Millhouse, some of that, and she did it, and it's like. <laughs> My favorite thing, it is my voicemail for the past. See, that's why I'm saying sometimes you ask people to do that, and they'll, they're cool with it. Well, the only reason I said it is because I'd done a guest voice on The Simpsons, a very small one, and she passed by after something, and she goes, oh, my God, I'm a big Parks and Rec fan. I go, oh, so you're She in. goes, I, I said, I am so nervous to talk to you. I wanted to come up to you. And she goes, why didn't you? I go, because is it possible? And she goes, whatever you want. And I go, okay. <laughs> I, and I'm like, okay. And I knew I only had one shot. I'm sure I have it saved. I can play for you. But it's like... And so when you call me, it's literally Millhouse, and it's beautiful. Is your voicemail someone amazing? No, 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 no. My voicemail's the you have reached. Um, oh, is, is, this is the voicemail that's on your phone. Yeah. Oh, wait, wait, wait. So let me, you want uh, me get it. Oh, can you play it, or do you want me to call you? No, I can, I can call get you it. on speakerphone. I can literally. Uh, oh, you can call call me on speakerphone. I'll call you on speakerphone. You can't hear what my phone number is. No. Okay. But just for anyone listening, it is three two three. Oh, oh what the... crap! Crap! Uh, What's the longest one of these podcasts you've done? Uh, about two hours, but oh. that's a that's a rare exception. Is that is that still your number? Yeah, hit it. Okay. Uh, I'll hang up on you. Please do. I hope it, I didn't change it. That'd be really embarrassing. Oh, you want to hear my ringtone? This is for. Do you know what this is? What game is that? This is the original Ducktales video game. Oh All right. I don't think he's gonna answer. I mean, what more could you ask for? Man, this is uh, John Sternberger. I'm an attorney oh, for shit. the Fox Network, oh, and uh, we are fighting uh, oh, copyright infringement over your outgoing voicemail. Oh, Please shit. call me at any of the uh, oh, numbers. Fuck. Oh, fuck. Oh, shit. Um, everything will not be coming up, Millhouse, when we see sorry, you in sorry. court. Give me one second. I got a voicemail. Oh, sure. Oh, it hasn't come up yet. <laughs> when it comes up, I'll... Uh... Sure, sure, sure. Yeah, I mean, please feel free to take it. Yeah. Um, but while that's, while your voicemail's coming up to see whatever that, that call might have been... Sorry, uh, I do have to take this. I'm so oh, sorry. Oh, sure. Yeah, no, I'm sorry. Of course. Um, Man, this is uh, John Sternberg. Oh, no. I'm an attorney for the Fox Network. Serious. Oh, and, fuck. Uh, we are uh, citing copyright infringement over your outgoing voicemail. Oh. Please call me at any... <laughs> you done did it. Number, oh, oh, shit. Oh, did you get that? No. It's Someone's freaking out in the background, no, too. It's, I didn't hear, but in, he said his number was 952, then it sounded like he was eating cottage cheese for the rest of the thing. Oh, yeah. Nine, five, two, nine, 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 yeah, 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 yeah. He was probably eating cottage. Yeah, they they like to eat a lot of cottage cheese. But anyway, I'm sorry about the legal battle that you, it sounds That's like fine. you're going to have. Um, but finally, I just would love to know what it is that you do when you, you know, as, a, as someone who's attentive to detail and can get neurotic about details, when you're writing and then you just feel empty or you can't crack a joke or you can't crack a this thing. This is for writing a script? Any, anything, whether it's writing a bit, a script, whatever it is. I've learned a couple things. One, I used to when I'm writing scripts. Uh, I've sold five movies to studios now. But when I used to write scripts, I would get to a part of it and get so stuck and get so like pissed that I couldn't do it that I'd spend so much time on that part trying to make that part better or whatever. And what I've done recently or uh, the last script or the last couple scripts, when I get to that part in all caps and bold, 
I'll write something like, you fucking idiot. You couldn't think of something here. Think of something better here. Move on. Don't think about this now. You'll think about it later. And so anytime I pass it, it makes me upset that I haven't done it. But it allows me to move on from that, keep writing the script, and know I have to get back to that moment. Ah, would, you're hacking your brain, basically. Yes, yes. I would st- it would become a roadblock that was so big. So now it becomes like a little speed bump. Um, and um, you push yourself to write when you feel like you don't want to write. But also listen to yourself. If you like... You're trying to write for a while and you just can't do it. Take a fucking break. Sometimes your brain needs to uh, chill. There, uh, my friend um, had this great – Jesse Stern had this great um, line once. Uh, we're in a culture now that everything is ingested. Like you're on your phone and you're looking at tweets and you're just looking at tweets. And so he explained it as uh, your, your brain is um, visually showing like cogs moving, moving one way, right? This is you ingesting, ingesting, ingesting. And this is in, in, uh, uploading, uploading, uploading or whatever. And then when it's time for you to create, you can't just stop that and start writing immediately. Mm-hmm. He goes, he goes. there's going to be a second where you're looking at your screen and just like it's the cogs are slowly stopping that way. Right. And then slowly turning the other way. And I thought that was such a smart way of putting it because don't get disappointed. We're ingesting shit so much at such a volume that don't get upset when you're looking at website, website, and then you're like, all right, time to write. And it takes a fucking couple <laughs> minutes because your body has to get into that mood. Then you'll find that rhythm and then you'll, you'll hit it. Um, also, I've learned that shutting off Wi-Fi is a huge help in writing because I will check my email every two minutes when I'm writing and yep. I'll stop my brain from thinking. Uh, but deadlines, give yourself deadlines, stuff like that. So, But I'll, I'll put some stuff in there that if I'm having roadblocks or something like that, I learn how to like move on from them. Um, but also deadlines are big and liking what you're writing. If you're writing something that you're like, oh, this feels like a job. I'm not enjoying it. It becomes harder to get through as sure. opposed to like, oh, fuck, this is going to be fun. You know what I mean? Sometimes I feel like the doing stuff you don't feel like doing is just good exercise. Yeah. Because it it teaches you that you sometimes you work on stuff that you're like, well, I just have to make this work somehow. Well, so what you said at the beginning, you write two hours every day or something yeah. like that. So when I was freelancing jokes for Letterman, I had to buy a fax machine and fax them in. I'd wake up at 6 a.m. and every day allow myself to have 45 minutes to an hour and have to write 15 jokes, no matter what. Just based on the news? Or yes. were you, were so you submitting through, top 10 list stuff or just no, like... No, just, just the news. And I did it for Weekend Update also. So I'd read the articles of the day and I'd make fun of them and then think about how Letterman would make fun of them and then think about how... He's paying writers. I'm just a freelance guy. So I got to think of the shit that those guys aren't thinking of. Think of. So that really helped my brain think of different ways of making jokes. Did you get a lot of stuff on? Letterman, I got 21 jokes on, which is big for a little nickel Oh, that's joke. awesome. Weekend Update, I only got two jokes on my entire two years freelancing. And it was when uh, Tina had a baby. So Horatio subbed in and Horatio said my jokes. Oh, that's great. It was great. What was the joke? Um, Do you remember? Yes, of course. One, one was it was on the same show too, and I remember I we were my sister uh, married this wonderful guy who uh, lived in Idaho, and we were in a hotel in Idaho, um, and I was in a room adjacent to my parents had a room, and I was in a room, you know, like those hotel rooms that have yeah. the locks and you can go back and forth, and so um, I was watching SNL. I never hadn't gotten a joke on, so I didn't think in a million years I'd get it on, and um, Horatio says one of the jokes. And I go, holy shit. And my parents hear me. They go, what's wrong? What's wrong? And I go, they just said my joke. And I jump up and down and I hit the controller and it shut off the TV. No. And so then I grab the controller and I put it back on and it goes to the fucking hotel menu screen. Oh, no. And I'm like, oh, you got to go live TV and you got to. And it was like, and by the second I got to the live TV, he was telling the end of my second joke. Oh, that's great. So, But one of the jokes was um, a recent study shows that. Recent study shows that having a clown – I'm not going to remember the exact wording, but a recent study shows that having a clown 
inside um, a hospital room actually raises children's morale and helps them heal better, proving that laughter is, in fact, the best medicine. Unless you have chemo, then you should get... Oh, unless you have cancer, then you should get chemo. And so it was a very, like, fucked up joke. Yeah. And, it li- and Horatio literally delivered it that way. He's like, unless you, have ke- unless you have cancer, then you should get chemo. And it's like... And the audience didn't know how to react. So it was like a fucked up joke. Yeah. And the audience, the reaction's unbelievable. They go, oh. And then there's a laugh. <laughs> and you saw his face, this smirk that he pulled it off. And it was, it, I could not believe that he took such a risky one. And then the other one was real fucked up also. Um, and he did them both. You know what? That, that's what's interesting, though, is that the, the, just the way that audience dynamics works. Yeah. Because they all feed off each other. And I feel like there's a couple of, like, activators in different sections. And if they – they because they're all kind of like, oh, do we all agree on this together? Yeah. And sometimes it – Is it okay to laugh? And then it took a second. They're like, ah! And then they, they, they were able to crest that's the – That's great. Yeah. That's great. Ben, I adore you. And please just come back to my house since it I turns out wait, you can walk. By the way, yeah. I can't wait to – I mean, are we allowed to talk about what's in your house or no? Not really. Sure. The, this, I told you when I entered this house, this and Guillermo del Toro were the two houses I was most excited to step into. <laughs> I've never been to Guillermo del Toro's house, but just seeing pictures of the stuff he has in his office in his house. But some – I obviously love uh, Disneyland. I like Disney stuff. But also I love collecting – Cells, which you have. I love. There's a. You have a Disneyland map. I have a Disneyland map. And just the stuff that you have in your house is like, um, the the memorabilia stuff is. It our Venn our our diagrams are very similar. Oh, we. It was such a little nerd love fest. I love your shirt. You're, he's wearing a vintage haunted mansion shirt right now. And I found old, it in a vintage shop. It was so exciting for me. And I, wasn't too expensive either. Yeah, I, I'm. I'm. As soon as you leave, I'm going to go Google like vintage <laughs> haunted mansion shirt, and I'm going to try you to fucking know find it. Existed because it. it's Mickey going through the haunted mansion. Yeah, it's. A, I'm very proud of it. It's a, Thank you very much for having me. And what a fun time. We don't get to talk very often. No, we don't. And so now we should do it on purpose, not doing a podcast, too, whenever you have time. And also, I encourage you to go to different Disneylands because they are all – it's like stepping into a parallel dimension because they are all similar. But obviously – Do you have a favorite? I have favorite elements about each – Disneyland, to me, is always going to be my favorite. Nothing against the other ones, but it's the one that Walt imagined. And to to me, they have the most most attention to detail is there. Disney World is great, but it also kind of feels like how many people can we possibly cram into these spaces? It's like it's much wider. And there's like four parks. Um, Disneyland Paris was interesting because it was just like seeing a different world, like – They've translated rides differently that I guess are more yeah like they love roller coasters there so their Space Mountain is more of a true roller coaster as opposed to like a bobsled which oh. Disneyland is and they like to like send you backwards through the dark is a thing that their roller coasters like to do there their Space Mountain is Jules Verne themed and inside is Star Wars themed so it's like a this weird mashup did you do the Ratatouille ride we did Paris? the Ratatouille ride which I Giacchino believe- did music for that. I was I got to watch him make that music for the ride because I love Ratatouille and he's like hey do you want to Come see, and I love his music and Ratatouille. His music and Ratatouille is unbelievable. It's, it's incredible. So I got to watch his whole orchestra. And I again. think Rise of the Resistance has the basic principle of the Ratatouille ride, which is this, that free roaming. Don't you dare ruin it for me. Have you done it yet? No. Okay. I but can't it's wait. my guess. When are you going? I'm guessing the Resistance Didn't it just is going to rise. It opened on the 17th of January. Do you think that the Resistance will rise? Or they might. Just, oh, yeah. God, or maybe they're going to try. I don't. They've got to try. Yeah. And I bet there's some people that can stop it. They could, but in the end, I feel like the Rebels are going to triumph. Oh, no spoilers. It's very possible. By the way, one quick thing about I have so much respect for one quick G- thing about rebels. About <laughs> one quick thing about Star Wars movies. Uh, what about about Giacchino is he's obviously like one of the most brilliant 
songwriters in Wonderful. the history of songwriting. But my favorite thing he's ever done was the theme to Lost because it's literally one note and he must have gotten so much money just to go like that's it. And I have always adored that. Uh, We're just like the letters are coming full at the screen. And maybe he tried like a, you know, like a more intense, we're lost, we're lost, the plane crashed on the island, what's with the polar bear or whatever. But it just sort of landed on, and he got paid like the fucking rate. We that- have rejected uh, themes. Him and I did two videos on YouTube because uh, he, love, he loves comedy stuff. And one of them was uh, Star Wars, I think. And one of them was Jaws, where we went when he had... uh, One of them was when he was doing an actual orchestra thing. But uh, if you go online, I think they're still online. Rejected themes with me and Giacchino. He's the best. Surely you've met him. I don't think I've ever met him. He's the best. Now I need to meet him. He's brilliant. It's insane to me that he's such a kind, cool dude. And then also he happens to be an actual prodigy. Like, he's unbelievable what he does. He's Uh, one of three people in the universe that can do it to his level. It's insane. Yeah. Yeah. I want to redo the theme of E.T. to say, don't ask Spielberg to touch the tip of your finger, because he won't do it. Oh my God, but that doesn't even sound like the theme to E.T. Ouch like is what you're going to okay. feel in your soul. It barely sounds like anything. You well, know E.T. You know that that's not what the theme sounds E.T. like at all. You're singing some sort of weird, E.T. like, all right. It's okay. never going to happen in sounds real Sounds like a life. Chicago song. <laughs> okay, you're bringing in the Touching Spielberg no. on the hand. No, no. that's Michael McDonald now. You don't even know what world you're in. I don't want to touch Your Spielberg duties. with a oh, finger. He ain't nice. gonna do it. Jesus. He ain't gonna touch your finger. Ooh. Chris, what? You nailed it. Hey, <laughs> come on. Hey, you nailed that impression. I did okay. Yeah, you did great. For a riff about Michael McDonald singing about Don't Try to Touch Spielberg's Finger Like <laughs> E.T., it was, that's got to be the top what one. What Paris roller coaster we just went on in the dark. <laughs> Backwards in the dark. You have to. That's what the name of this podcast <laughs> title should be Backwards dark. in the Dark. The end. ID 10T scanning complete. Enjoy your burrito. <laughs> Once upon a beat. Remember those stories and fables that would capture your imagination and you couldn't wait to see how they would unfold? And now, when you read them as an adult, you think some of these old tales could use a fresh spin. We have a perfect podcast to bring you the stories you remember, remix, and reimagine for the kids in your life today. Join me, DJ Fuse, and my trusty turntable, Baby Scratch, as we spin up new tales in the New Kids and Family Podcast, Once Upon a Beat. Wondry and Tinkercast are bringing you a jam-packed, music-filled weekly party where hip-hop and fables meet. It's Once Upon a Beat. Follow Once Upon a Beat on the Wondry app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen to Once Upon a Beat early and ad-free right now by joining Wondry Plus in the Wondry app or Wondry Kids Plus in Apple Podcasts. Once Upon a Beat.